All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bearded Gear podcast. This is episode number 19, and uh, I'm joined for the first time by a recurring guest tonight. Uh, this is the first time I've had somebody on more than once, and my buddy Jason, who is the fearless leader and one of the creators of the Milli PM2 Para 3 Club, is in the house with me. Uh, Jason and I talk a lot, although lately I feel like I've been busier than I should have been, so I've been selfishly really looking forward to this conversation because I feel like we have some catching up to do. But Jason, how are you tonight, man? I'm good. I'm glad I could be here. And I do. I miss us. You know, we don't we haven't chatted as much as we used to. And and uh, I know you're I know you're busy. Um, I've gone through some tumult at work, so I'm pretty busy, too. Uh, things are finally kind of leveling off a little bit. So I'm feeling good about where things are at. But uh, yeah, I definitely felt a little a little uh, scattered lately. So that's good. Um, That's I'm good. happy we can have this time to catch up. Shoot the breeze. I, I'm glad that things are getting back to normal for you. Um, Thank you. It's been interesting for me the last really like two months or so. We've done a couple little family trips, just like long weekend kind of things, right? Sure. But those always end up like the ripple effect of that with what my wife and I do. It's like you have to preload a bunch of content and get a bunch of stuff shot before you can go if you want to yeah. be posting while you're gone and then you get back and all of a sudden it's catch-up time and you're like in a funk because you were just gone um so there's been that and then i'm also uh, the production knife that i'm working on is getting closer and closer and so communication with react has been more and more and more which is a good thing and is exciting but it's like between that and still doing one or two uploads a day and doing the weekly podcast all of it it's like yeah. it's been this snowball of stuff yeah. um but it's all good stuff, so I'm not complaining. I just it's been a, it's been a different balance lately with everything on the plate. But I'm really very interested to see this this knife project of yours, you know, get closer to completion and watch what happens as you as you bring it to market. It's pretty exciting. Um, last time I saw it, it was a pretty rough draft. I think it was the uh, CNC printed. Yeah. So this is the 3D print still. Is it um, okay? I, I don't have a real prototype in hand yet. Yeah. Um, hopefully soon. Literally, Riat is building them as of right yeah. now. So that's uh, it's happening, which is nice. It's been they've been a little backed up on taking people's drawings who are working with them yeah. and making them their own drawings so that they can, like, we had Wes, the pocket perspective, to mm -hmm. like take our 2D what we were happy with design wise and make it 3d. And then he also made us those 3d prints. And, uh, from there, the, the design was right according to us. Right. But for React, they can't just take that file and say, go sure. to their machines. Sure. Um, they have, they to, have make to make it all work it into their components. Exactly. So in right. that process, we also took every opportunity to just super fine tooth comb, like every single little aspect and and just go over the drawings that they sent us and even in that process we caught some things as we saw their really detailed drawings like oh let's add this little thing or let's take that out let's switch this to that right. and so like the final piece of the puzzle literally what i was going back and forth uh today on was making sure that internally the pivot was d-shaped because i don't like free spinning pivots i would greatly prefer for it not to be and the contact over there was like oh well it'll be fine because we we put loctite in one side and i was like no no no, but <laughs> not the answer i need i want a d-shaped pivot and i was like we need to have this feature i know you guys can do it 
And so it, it has to be done that way. And so they finally just got those revised drawings to us. And now I think we're finally like 100% this design is correct. Um, so hopefully the prototypes get here and we're right about it being correct. But that's the point of a prototype is it could also be, oh, we still need to change some things. So sure. only sure. only time will tell on that. Um, I've heard prototype stories from Riyadh before and um, it was Brian Brown that talked about it. And he was, he mentioned there was a couple of very specific things in the design that they fixed and really didn't even tell him. And mm -hmm. when he got it back, he was really happy about it because they were, they were significant really in terms of the gripes that you might have about a knife, but they were subtle also. It was mm -hmm. just very small changes. So he didn't want a free spinning pivot either. And they engineered a really unique solution that right. very clever and also very subtle. And it didn't affect the look of the knife at all. And they, I think they changed his, um, the lock bar interface or the the lock bar insert somewhere mm -hmm. to make it work a little bit smoother and to be a little more elegant. And yeah. um, um, it's really interesting that they're so collaborative and that they're um, they really obviously know what they're doing. Right. And and that's uh, I don't know. It makes for a really nice collaboration, doesn't it? Hopefully, yeah. I yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting because they all along have been like if if you were to take a look at my reviews as a whole and isolate all of the React produced knives, which most of the ones I've reviewed haven't been their own catalog knives. They're almost all collaborative, like right. US designer or Italian designer, maybe some, but like, it's not a React model. It's someone's model that React is producing. And I've reviewed a ton of them and almost all of them without fail. It's like the quality is undeniably excellent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they just, they they tend to nail it. and so from the get-go of me and Ryan starting this project, it's been like, that's who I would really like to have build our knives if we can make it work. So the fact that we were able to get in with them and that they were willing to do it for us and they're busy right now. I mean, they, they're not yeah. short on work. Um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool that we're able to, to do it and that they're working with us. And yeah, so far it's, it's just been impressive to watch how they work. Um, it's with how busy they are. This is the only frustration sometimes is how yeah. long it takes because we want things now because we're so excited. And yeah. sometimes it takes a few days before they're able to complete a step. But every time they do complete a step, we're like, all right, yep, you nailed it. So move along. Yeah. There's a misconception in the world that companies like Riot and we and Best Tech have infinite monkeys and they're infinitely large and they can fill any purchase order at any time just with a push of a button. And that's not true really isn't. I know a knife builder that was that was lamenting that and he was getting a lot of pressure from his customers about why don't you just order 3000 of them? And he said, well, I won't have them for a year and a half. Yep. So if you want to wait, we can wait. But if you'd like them in three months, then I can't order that many because you can't just order 3000 knives and plug them into their current production run. They're busy. They're, there's more money being spent on knives now than there was in 2019 by a lot. Mm -hmm. And factories can't keep up with the orders. So um, if you look at a lot of the, if you look at a lot of the medium sized knife companies and you look at their websites, there's a lot of out of stocks right now. Yep. And it's, it's because the factories can't keep up. That's an interesting thing too. I heard, I'm trying to remember who it was just the other day. I was watching somebody's video and they're talking about how they're hoping that now the knife industry can start to rebound from COVID. And I was scratching my head because as I was thinking about it, I think maybe a select few companies have been really 
affected monetarily, <laughs> but I think uh, several others that I can think of have really, during the year of 2020, th they had drastic increases in uh, a just a rise in popularity, but in uh, for sure knives sold and money made and all of that. And there's I've seen kind of a flourish of activity in the knife community. Maybe part of that is just because I've become more and more and more involved. And so I'm seeing more of it. But you're right. When you look at inventory of select brands, if you want to isolate certain brands, if you look at across retailers, a lot of them are having a real hard time keeping stuff in stock right now. There's other brands that sit. Sure. So maybe sure. they can blame COVID. Maybe they can't. But I don't think knife sales are, have like been hurting very much yeah and and i think i think from an economic standpoint where that's being driven is millions and millions of americans are home they're scared they're they're emotionally distressed and retail therapy is a really nice way to treat yourself right mm -hmm. also when you're not commuting to work every day you have a lot more money than you you don't even realize you were wasting on things like um not only gas for your car but you know, Lunch. are you going to buy, are you going to buy a candy bar? Do you buy, um, a, a bottled, uh, a bottled, uh, uh, coffee drink every time you go into a gas station? Do you buy smokes when you drive out, you know, um, lunch, those things all add up. So now you've got extra income. Um, and then you combine that with, you know, certain knife factories. Like I imagine Chris Reeves knives was probably able to largely operate pretty normally because they're in Idaho and Idaho mm -hmm. never locked down. So, I think the most that they ever did was they had to stop doing like warranty service for a little bit. They had to postpone that. I know for yeah. a number of companies, and I think that's just because they were limited on, on how many personnel they could have in the building maybe. So that's like the thing that they were justifying. I really don't know that on. Idaho ever did that. I think okay. for the most part, other than wearing masks and social distancing and hand washing and things like that, they probably didn't have much interruption. You mm -hmm. compare that to Emerson, who has basically shut down U.S. operations because they can't make anything in this in the state of California. They're not right. able to go back to work. They literally can't go back to work. So, and now that they've been allowed to, a lot of the people aren't coming back because people in California suck. I mean, to be fair, I'm one of those people who could have gone back to a job eventually, but decided not to. And that's not because I was, oh, unemployment is more. It's because I started doing this. But yeah, um, the state got a big bailout. So they're all whatever deficits they had in, in back pay for unemployment, they were able to fill that. So mm -hmm. um, but it, that doesn't change the fact that it's difficult for Emerson to feel the team. And then there are other factories, too. I know Spyderco has had a, had a major reduction. They, they were only able to work with like one fifth of their workforce on the floor. Yeah. Um, same with Benchmade, same with Zero Tolerance. Kershaw, you know, Gerber, all these other big, big, big companies that make tons of knives. Yeah. They only feel the limited team due to, you know, uh, limitations. So I wonder if part of that is extra money with the lower with the lower productivity. It really just sucked yeah. all, all the knives out of the market. Part of it seems to really be a size thing. The more I'm thinking about it, too, because like you mentioned, a lot of those biggest knife companies are the ones that were hit the hardest by it. But if you look at think of ProTech. ProTech is yeah. in California. They're like a half hour from me. And I haven't been able to do a shop tour because of COVID. But as soon as I can, I'll be over there. I'm friends yeah. with some of the guys over there at this point. Um, they just posted on Instagram the other day. They added two new machines. They've been crushing it on all of their new releases, to say the least. And their yeah. core models are moving. 
And Protech isn't small, but they're not big either. They're certainly not like Spider-Co or Kershaw, you know, like not even close, but yeah, I've had a hard time figuring out how big they are based on the number of models they offer. They have a ton of knives. People don't realize they like they yeah. they make the Malibu, but they also make forty other knives. Right. Yeah, they make the Malibu and the Mordax, or what most people know. Right. And they might know the Godson or the SBR, but yeah, I mean, even those core models seem to sell with pretty good regularity. The TR yep. series of knives and all that. And yeah, they literally they cannot make enough of the Malibu to satiate demand which is like that's fueling the company forward too because it gets protex in more people's hands right. and because maybe they're not super into side opening autos they get a malibu and they realize how good it is and then they're protech curious and they want to try more from the brand and then they realize their side opening autos are actually fantastic and then you know like it it can snowball and i think that's happening for them which is cool to see yeah but yeah it, it's weird to see which brands have seemingly been kind of immune to or, or even like have been able to capitalize maybe on that change of lifestyle for people and more people having time and money to invest in the hobby and other companies have just like had the roughest possible time. But I think the smalls and the mediums have had the easiest go of it. So I think about Giant Mouse. That was mm -hmm. not a brand that I knew well in 2019. 2020, mm -hmm. they had a very good year. Everybody was buying Giant Mouse and telling their friends how good they were. Um, Three to me, that was the grand that changed that because I was well aware of Giant Mouse since like Were probably you? 2018. But their knives, I had had a GM2, I'd had a Biblio, I had tried the Iona for like 10 minutes, and I just I wasn't super into them. And then I got the grand, and it was like, oh, these guys, they know how to right. play ball. <laughs> They're right. figuring it out. And now I like a bunch of their knives. The rib is fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff from them. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your. No, no. I was thinking uh, Three Rivers Manufacturing is another one. You know, their knives are very hard to get. They do they do sprinkles, which are super obnoxious. Um, yeah, I understand why they're doing it. And I'm, I don't mean to be critical of that. I mean, I don't know a good way to release a knife. I've been involved with several exclusive releases from different dealers. And and uh, I understand how hard it is to make everybody happy. So their yeah. sprinkle process is fair because you're going to get more opportunities to try to get one. But at the same time. Man, if you have anything to do all day and you're just refreshing on the website to wait and hope that they pop up, that's it's cruel. <laughs> it's cruel. Yeah, cruel is a good word for it. It's it's definitely uh, nerve wracking. So yeah, that's I have a good buddy. I don't have, I don't have any problem buying on, on the secondary because I don't want to wait around as long sure. as it takes. I've got um, a buddy who has wanted to get a TRM for a long time, and then. He finally signed up for one of their, you're able to like basically reserve a spot and then it kind of comes up when it comes up. Yeah, I did that for an Adam. It took, it took five months, but I got it at a table and you know. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. what he did. And to be fair, he was excited that they finally offered that and he was willing to wait, but then he noticed fairly and I'm a huge, I love TRM. I love the people over there. So this isn't yeah. me trying to yeah. be negative about them in any way, but sharing his frustration because he's not here to share it himself. Um, he was on that list. And then while he was still waiting for his spot, they were doing random surprise drops of knives that people were waiting for on a list. And that made him really mad. And to be fair, if I was waiting on a list, like if I was right now, I'm on the Oz Roosevelt books. Right. Right. And right. he did just do a lotto knife, which it that's fine. Like, but if he all of a sudden was dropping 10 knives on his site, 
meanwhile, I've got a, a list spot or a book spot that I paid for and I'm waiting for that spot to come up and he's taking yep. the time to make 10 knives in front of the one that I'm waiting for. That would be frustrating to me. I agree. Like, I don't think he wouldn't be within his rights to do that, but I'd be like, why don't you make the knives that you've already taken money for before you start just doing random drops? Like also then why would I be incentivized to try to buy one on a drop when I already have a book spot it makes it complicated. It's like, sure. It's a whole thing, but now the, inver think the inverse of that would be Vero who does pre-orders for the bulk of his knives. Right. But then mm -hmm. when the pre-orders have all shipped, whatever's left, he'll do drops. He'll do random right. drops. So for the last couple knives, he's taken a lot of grief from people who are angry that the, he hasn't done the random drops yet. And they're very upset about it. And they're like, you keep telling us they're coming and they're not here yet. And meanwhile, from his point of view, he's like, well, I'm not done shipping those who have already paid. And right. until I am, I'm not going to do a random drop because that's Which, not fair to the people. I already have their money. I do know? respect that more. I th right. think. But it's and, funny how both on both sides, you'll have somebody who has a valid argument about why that's no good. Right. So, and on both sides, you'll have people who are very loudly complaining and making everything difficult for anybody who will listen. You'll also have the, the irrational and unreasonable requests. So yeah, you can't, you can't make everybody happy. So that does bring me to, um, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about, because in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed it's not something that I've never heard before, but I've just been hearing with more and more frequency. Um, I've gotten a number of comments both on YouTube and then just in conversations on Facebook, in the Millie Club, on Instagram, uh, you name it. <laughs> the conversations have been happening partially, I think, because of the Bowie coming out, which we can talk about as well. But there's been a number of people who've said something along the lines of Spyderco needs to be making all the knives that I want basically like from their perspective, like anything discontinued, anything that was a sprint, that wasn't exclusive, anything that's just out of stock. Right. It's spider co's fault. Right. And sometimes they go so far as to say it's the dealer's fault. If it's an exclusive or like that, that's been a big thing with knife joy. People are like, well, why didn't they just order 10,000 of them? And then they could have as many as people would want to order and some left. If people missed the drop, they could buy them for weeks. It would just be, it would just be in stock. Um, I have no patience for that because right. I don't think those people understand at all how being a dealer for knives works. Um, right. But I do think some people, when they point the finger at Spyderco, have maybe a little more of a leg to stand on where it's like Spyderco, if they wanted to make a ton of the Bowie in the original configuration, they could. But my my retort before I ask you yours, <laughs> sorry, I'm going on and on. No, it's right. My retort is typically... Um, I would rather that Spyderco stop making old knives and keep coming out with new knives because I find that more fun than them just continuing to pump out. Like there are a lot of models that are discontinued that I actually really like. I part of the conversation today was the chubby that I've got now. I need to do right. my full review on. And a bunch of people today asked me when I put it in my stories and on the on the group, I posted the picture. A ton of people were like, what is that knife? And I say the Spyderco Chubby. It's out of stock everywhere. That's because it's been discontinued for years. And they're like, well, why don't they make more? Why don't they just make more of it? If I want it, I should be able to buy it. And it's like, I don't want them to make more of the Chubby. Even if I hadn't gotten one, I wouldn't be like, man, this needs to be fixed by Spyderco making more. Because that's one more model that Spyderco can't come out with in the future that I might like even more than that. I just, I'd rather look to the future 
and play the game of the knives that are in the past having to be bought on the secondary for potentially more, potentially less, leave them where they are. If the Bowie's more expensive because they won't make any more, so be it. But like Spyderco is going to make new knives. And if they keep making the Bowie, they can't make more new knives. That's They only have a, a maximum production that they can pump out. And so yeah. you have to take it from somewhere, you know? We need Oompa Loompas. <laughs> Oompa Loompas are, you know, when I was growing up, we'd watch Willy Wonka and Veruca Salt. I don't care now. I, I don't care how I want it now. Right. Mm -hmm. She sang a whole song about it. She wanted a golden goose daddy. Right. And what happened to her? She was a bad egg. And she went yeah. down the pipe. And then the Oompa Loompas told us why. And they sang a song about it. And I think from moving forward, when I see that kind of garbage in the group, I'll probably just hit them with a Veruca Salt. Um, I think I think that in this world that we live in nowadays, where everyone feels that free to express themselves and then no one's really allowed to crack back or or um, I don't know how to put this. Maybe it's just a shame thing. People don't have shame. So to be a grown up in this world and, and cry about the fact that a knife has been discontinued and it's not fair somehow to frame it in a fairness argument is just so silly. And I don't know why they feel like they're, they're I don't know why they feel like you can just say those things. <laughs> I, um, yeah. it's very, very strange. And I don't know in, in this world that we live in, the stuff that's really cool and, and desirable from days of yore was generally stuff that wasn't popular in those days, right? Mm -hmm. The reason you want it is because you can't have it. And now it's super collectible or valuable because there aren't a lot of them out there. You right. know, I paid 300 bucks for this chubby. I don't think that's what they cost new. I'm pretty confident. Right. That was not a $300 knife new. But to me, I didn't blink an eye. It was like, that's a birch tree model. I'm, I want to have it to go with the danger pickle and the secant and my random boker birch tree knife. I want to have more of them. And I've always thought it looks cool. I'm just going to get it. But like, I wasn't even around in the hobby, really. I wasn't into Spider-Co right. at all when right. that knife was retailing. So it, like, <laughs> I can't go back in time. I can just deal with what I've been handed now in terms of the deck of cards that are laid out in front of me. And right. sometimes I think it's people who are new to the hobby who are making these complaints. But then I have to remind myself that we all live in the same world, right? And the knife hobby might be kind of a microcosm, but I do think a lot of these things are, are pretty standard. Things that I would consider common sense of like, oh, this company doesn't make that product anymore. Like I can't just go to the Apple store and ask for an iPhone 8. They don't, they don't, they haven't made it in a long time. They won't have one there to sell me. No matter how much you might want it, you yeah. can't have one. I could think it looks so cool. I could yeah. feel like I need to have it, but I can't go to the retailer and get it. And Apple has no incentive to make any more of the iPhone 8. What what would possibly be in it for them to cater to a couple of weird boomers on the internet who are like, that's the best one. I got to have it. Like, I just don't. So I, my in my opinion, if I believe in constant quality improvement. Spyderco calls it CQI. And it's, it's an ethos that they have when they make stuff mm -hmm. and they've branded it and they've trademarked it. But to, to, when you really think about it, most corporations follow that. When you make something, your goal is to get better over time, not to get worse over time. And if you believe that's true, then going backwards into antique models that were discontinued 
probably because they weren't popular. Let's let's face yep. that. They've never discontinued a model that was hugely popular. At Why least not in do? its time. Some things have become popular later, but it was too late. Right. They sucked when, at selling when they were on shelves. If nostalgia drives a model, then it's really just nostalgia propping it up. And the proof will be in the pudding when it's re-released. Mm -hmm. So uh, an example I can think of recently is um, the Loom Tanto oh. and the Dodo that Blade HQ released. Both very cool, right? It's very cool that they went with their color palette and their steel choice. And then they went back in the day and they pulled these models out. But if you play with those knives, they don't hold up compared to the newest, most cutting edge models that they've come out with. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It really is okay because you want a company to move forward, not backward. And if you're nostalgic for those models, there's plenty of them out there, right? You can go collect Ford Escorts if you're into Ford Escorts. There's a lot of them. But mm -hmm. I happen to notice that nobody collects Ford Escorts. What they do want is the rare crap that you can't get, you know? And uh, you can see over my shoulder here, I got a couple guitars, right? Um, same is true with guitars. All the most expensive, valuable models that everybody covets are the ones that in their day weren't very popular and nobody wanted them and they were discontinued after a couple years and now everybody's got to have one, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's it's true of anything under the, under the sun. You know, anything that's collectible or valuable, the ones that people collect after the fact are usually the, un, the unpopular ones. So yeah. I'm very sorry that that person didn't get to have an infinite number of knives at their, at their leisure, but. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, uh, the term CQI. Yeah. which is another thing that I'd completely forgotten about, but I've heard weird nitpicks about recently. And I've tried also, to press, uh, I've tried to press back on a couple of people about it because this is one of those things. I think it must be somebody who's popular made a statement on it, whether it was in a video or I don't know. I don't watch everybody's content. I think somebody who's popular must've said something and I'm not being facetious. I genuinely don't know, but with the number of people who've been mentioning CQI to me, like it's a negative thing at Spyderco. It's been weird because they've been saying they don't like and they disagree with the idea that Spyderco would come out with a model and then just six months later, they'd have a CQI version of it. Their idea is that Spyderco should have it perfect before they ever release the knife. And my retort has usually been name a knife. If you can name more than one, that would be even better that came out and had issues, like problems, like they came out and the knife was defective and then CQI fixed it. Or are you talking about Spyderco as they kept making thousands of these things, figured out a way that they could do it better as they were going. And instead of not doing it and waiting until there's a version two in a year or two, like instead of not doing that, they just on the fly, <laughs> were like, great, we figured out something better we're going to tweak it in our machining or whatever part of the process it is. Like, that's the way I see it. I think it's great that Spyderco can that quickly as a big company institute minor changes that make the model a little bit better. But a bunch of people are like, oh, well, it's messed up that they'd come. Why would they release the knife if it's not right yet? The fact that they're doing CQI means, means it's wrong when it comes out. And it's I very, couldn't. It's a very naive, it's a very naive opinion to have. And right. If I offend anybody with that, then, uh, it's too bad. It's a it's a naive statement to make. I mean, just yesterday I downloaded a new iOS for my phone. Should I, I have not morning. downloaded it? Be under under the principle that they should have gotten it right the first time. So I should fold my arms and just rump it <laughs> and say that, you know, 
I don't need to download it because it should have been right the first time. That doesn't make any sense. When, when you manufacture something, it doesn't matter how long you look at it. Once it's in the hands of your customers and your customers look at it, ultimately what they think is more important than what you think. So part of the CQI process is listening to your customers and then giving them what they want and what their, what their wallets will vote with. So a good, a good example I can think of is the Capara that came out a few years ago. When it came out, it was an incredible knife, but many people in the community were disappointed that it didn't drop shut. Mm-hmm. They wanted the knife to drop shut. Now, by design, the knife doesn't drop shut because it will cut your finger open. There's right. nowhere for the choil to hit you on the finger on the way down so that you can kind of half close it, get your finger out of the way, and then flick it shut like we do on other knives. Right. But my middle I, I name is Danger, so give me drop shut. Yeah. So everybody wanted <laughs> drop shut, drop shut, drop shut, drop shut. So after the first batch came along, they fixed that. And boy, does it drop shut. Order, I dare I dare anybody watching this right now or listening, go buy yourself a Capara and pull it out of the package, and you're going to have a wonderful flick experience. And that first drop, you're going to cut your finger <laughs> <laughs> and it's a super sharp knife. It's a wonderful knife. It's did it need to happen? I don't know. My opinion is just one opinion, but I can tell you that people love the fact that they love the, the CQI version more than the original. Right. If I was looking to buy a Capara right now, which I've owned a Capara, I almost bought the 20 CV one that DLT did. Um, but if I was going to purchase one, I would make sure that I was getting one that's CQI because I'd want it to be drop shutty. But I also, if I bought one when it first came out and then a CQI version came out after it, I wouldn't be mad. I would have options, right? I could either decide, hey, I'm happy with this one I already have. It doesn't matter. It's still basically the same knife. Or I could say I'd prefer to have the new one. That does sound like a feature I'd like. So I can either buy both and have both and make sure, or I could just sell the one I have and use that money to cover most of the cost of the new one. Like... You can you can play games in this hobby where you move things around and figure right. it out and right. like I, I don't know I just the knife the Capara when it came out wasn't broken it wasn't a bad right. knife it didn't right. not work like it just it didn't have issues instead they just improved on it which is literally what CQI stands for constant quality improvement and I love I love that it's actually constant like they're actually doing it off the cuff as things come up. And they're not afraid to like push that button. Whereas I think a lot of companies would be like, oh, well, yeah, it's actually doing okay. So let's write it out. Maybe we'll revisit this in a year. We'll see. And let's consider another economic driver at that. Let's say every time Spyderco makes a change to a knife, they announce it nine months ahead of time. What do you think that's going to do to the sales of the current model? It's going to drop through the floor and dealers are going to be left with inventory that they can't move. Mm-hmm. And if Spyderco builds these in batches, which they ought to, they build them in batches and then they have a batch. And it just so happens that the public finds out there's a model refresh coming. They're not going to buy the existing models. And and now you're screwing your dealers, you're screwing your customers. You might have to buy back all that inventory and sell it at a loss. It's just mm-hmm. That's just a really horrible way to do business, right? Change is going to come. You have to embrace it. It's not the end of the universe. And as it comes, you just have to deal with it as it comes along. And, um, you know, it's, it's just silly that to think that they're not going to ever, they're going to release a model and then leave it alone. What if it was dangerous? Should they just keep making it? Cause it's perfect. That's silly. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I think 
I like the way you first answered it, that it's just naive. <laughs> it's naive thinking it's naive. because it, it's also, it's one of those things where like immediately I want to draw comparisons to like other industries as a whole. And my mind often goes to cars because I have so much history yeah. personally in automotive. Yeah. And it's like, that's also a thing that happens literally within like if a typical model run of a car is like seven years, the life cycle, right? Before they do a major update right. and they change it to be something new. If on year one of that model, it's made a certain way, say the model came out in 2015 and it's going to go until 2022. The difference between a 2015 and a 2021, still the same body style, still the same car, still within the same generation, you're likely going to find quite a few differences inside yeah. the vehicle because in and those last, six years, the last year should really be more dialed in than the first year. Exactly. So there's not just in terms of like entertainment system, sometimes auto manufacturers lazily don't change any of that stuff. Right. To be fair as well. But right. some of the really good ones are like, Oh, with this new year, even it's the same model as it was before, same trim, all of that. It now has this enhanced feature because Apple CarPlay is so standard to everybody else that we better put it in. Even right. though this car isn't changing for three years, it needs to have it now or we're dangerously behind. And they'll do Unless little things like that. Right. And then they'll also like safety features, stuff like that. They'll right. update ex the, the, the suite of safety features. They'll update anything that's been recalled in the process of it. Like the new ones aren't going to get the recalled part. They're going to get the new part. It's like they don't just make all hundred thousand of this vehicle that are going to sell over seven years during the first year and then sit on them. They're making them the whole time. And as they're going, if things get updated, they get updated. And yeah, I just, I think knives, it, it's weird. Cause in some ways it is an Island, knife, <clears throat> the knife market, the knife community, all of that. But it also like, we, we all exist in this real world where, where products are kind of the same. Right. 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 So it's easy to draw parallels, but yeah, it's also, it's a weird thing for me to wrap my head around sometimes. By the way, um, tangent to something you said earlier. Sure. Um, I, I came up with some new slang. We got flick and flop. There you go. Does a knife have flick and flop? If it's, if it flicks and flops, then you know, it's a good one. Flick. Oh, and flop. This oh, it bounced. I know you hate the bounce. Yeah. I'm throw it away. Let me try a different PM2. Hold on. This one ought to do it. Do you have one of these? The Emerson Wave ones? No. I just, uh, I went and I visited Blade Ops while you I was up in Utah. What's that? Put a zip tie on it anyway. <laughs> I should. Um, but yeah, while I was at Blade Ops, my buddy Brandon, Everyday Minimalist, like works pretty closely with them. And so he made sure I didn't leave without a knife and that's their exclusive. And so it was mm -hmm. pretty cool. It's a, it's my first Emerson Wave PM2. It's, I technically there's, only that one in black or satin. So it's not like there's a whole sea of other ones I haven't tried, but I'm actually, I'm liking it more than I thought I would because I'm usually kind of anti-wave, but it works. Tell our friend Naive to go buy that one because they do have enough for everyone. Although I think they're low now. I imagine they are. They yeah, have to be closed out. I'm pretty sure they like to get me that black coated one. That one actually came out of their display case. So I don't know if they're, Oh wow. We'll see. Um, which is fine. They gave it to me. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not a problem. Um, okay, so we've talked CQI. We've talked Spider Co needs to make enough for everybody all the time. Um, 
let's talk Bowie for a second. Cause I spent like a half hour solo on my last podcast talking about yeah. the Bowie. Yeah, but you, you see more in the group than I do. I'll say, um, how would you try to encapsulate the sensation of the Bowie? Maybe like before, during and after its launch. Okay. If, if you were to try to define how that went. I'm kind of glad to have this platform because I need to defend myself a little bit on, on a topic that uh, sure. I guess I don't need to, I don't really care, but yeah, I'll do it anyway. It's a good pod. Um, this knife was not an incredibly well-kept secret. Right. Probably a year ago, I heard a rumor that this was coming. And in September, Knife Joy released their their Blue Chef. Mm-hmm. And at the time on on uh, Instagram, they did a hashtag, not the last Sliz exclusive. Swish. Right. Excuse me. Not the last Swish exclusive. It's it's Swish. I looked at I if you go to the tra- the Google Translate tool and type in Sliz and then translate it to Polish, it says Swish. I've been told by enough people that it's Swish now that I believe right. it. I just still uh, I have to I have to say it in a weird way every time I or need, else my I need brain more Polish friends so I can verify. <laughs> but my point is is that this I knew this was coming. I did I even knew the dealer, but I didn't know anything else about it. And as I got to know the owner of the business and the other people that work there, mm-hmm. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want him to think that I was the cause of the leak. So it wasn't until I was really sure that everybody heard it was coming that I really reached out and started asking questions about it. Mm-hmm. And when I found out that it had upgraded blade steel and I found out it was going to be a different color, that really, really, really got my interest because now it wasn't just more of the same it was a variation and legitimately a legitimately an interesting variation. So I think of these things as like how many variations from the original does it have? So in this case, it's, it's really three because we have blade texture, blade mm-hmm. steel and color. Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, Thomas Moore and I, Tom Moore, uh, Tomaso Moore, <laughs> as Nick Shabazz calls him, we talked about it a, a lot and we were like, I can't think of a discontinued Spyderco that has had more hype, more conversation, more angst, more opinions about it than than the Bowie. And I think that for most people who have never held one, I, I think it's fair to say that for four hundred dollars, this is this is a reach. I understand that point of view. If you've never mm-hmm. held one, it's fair to say that. Because four hundred dollars buys you a crap load of knife in in twenty twenty one. It really does. I think even holding it to say like for me, I don't know that if if I had now that I've had this one, <laughs> would I spend it again on another one? I don't know that it's worth it to me personally. Would but that's more of a preference thing. I don't think right. materials and build quality wise. Be- it's more like this is too much like a Sabenza. <laughs> Beauty's in the <laughs> eye of the beholder, right? Right. And you and I have had lots of conversations about Sabenzas. And in my mind, for my taste and style, I wouldn't pay $250 for a Sabenza. Neither would I. Yeah. It's just not a knife that appeals to me. I understand that it appeals to many, and I'm glad. It's a it's a very well-made knife and it's a it's a very nice knife. But for me personally, I just don't dig it. And when this knife was coming along, Tom and I were like, this is really to in our mind 
the most important re-release of a knife that's ever been done by Spyderco. So we decided to call it the GOAT. And as we got permission from KnifeJoy, we started leaking little details about the knife in a way that we love to do to just kind of have fun. And that's right. really all it was, was having fun. And it so causes a commotion, but literally in a fun way, right. especially when it's those little emoji posts in the group and people are just going nuts right. because they don't know whether they even need to be excited or if they're just being led along for fun or like, it's amazing. I love so our, beholding our, it. That's right. And our, our minion, Tom, our friend, Tom is really one of the, I'd say more so than me, he's responsible for the emoji stuff. Right. And the first thing we dropped was just the goat. And people are like, what's that about, Tom? And they know that means another knife's coming. So now it means game on. And um, I know that this irritates the shit out of a lot of the members too. And for that, I'm sorry, a little bit, not a lot. I'm sorry, a little bit. Yeah. Um, because to me, it's funny and fun. And, and if you don't like it, I'm, I'm sorry you don't find it fun. But um, we started with the goat and then it was the goat on a blue background. Mm -hmm. And it, it's painfully obvious in reverse, but at the time you don't know what that means. Right. And there were a lot of guesses and no one got it until very, very late in the game. And we weren't hyping this because it needed help being sold. It's, it's still a very sellable knife by any reckoning, right? So I wasn't worried about helping the dealers sell it or they'd surely die. But right. this was about having fun with the group. And the, the drop might have gone a lot smoother if the group hadn't done that and Shabazz hadn't done his video the night before. It might have not glitched right. so much. <laughs> so going into Nick's video, I was fairly certain that this knife was going to need most of a day to sell out. And the reason is, is I didn't know the quantity. I assumed it would be a lot. But I also knew that at $400, this was a really high-end Spyderco. Right. Prices out a lot of people because a lot of people for any Spyderco aren't willing right. to pay above the, $250. The median Spyderco price is probably $94. So this is a way above their normal competitive price point, right? Yeah. The Drunken Walmart. sits on shelves now. <laughs> the yeah. Drunken is also expensive. And some people say they like it more than this knife. But It's $42 more for carbon fiber that's engraved with S90V steel and a frame lock with a lock bar insert. And a terrible clip. That's you why I don't have a much, one. much better knife. And you would be right. It's a much better knife. Is it better subjectively? I don't know. It's up to the, it's up to the beholder, but going into the Shabazz video, I thought it would take most of the day to sell. I watched his video and it was pretty, it was pretty apparent that he liked it as much as he remembered. He liked the other one. Right. Mm -hmm. And the only thing he was unsure about is, do I love the color or do I not? Do I love the blade texture or do I not? And, the, the grind on the blade texture is very pretty. I prefer it's it. It's different. It's very pretty. Um, it's just as repairable in my mind. Uh, you can go at this with a, with a rust eraser. This is a rust eraser. You can go at it with a rust eraser and you can clean up scratches on it. On the polished version, same thing. You can just buff it. And on XHP steel, you know, a cotton buffing wheel with a little, a little jeweler's rouge will take care of a scratch. So either way, Knife's pretty fixable, right? Mm -hmm. um, but M390 is a, is a remarkably better steel than XHP. It's more stain resistant by a, a lot. It's almost as stain resistant as LC200N. Right. It's um, much tougher. No, it's as tough, I should say. It's as tough, but the edge retention is quite a bit better. So right. no, no harm in that, right? So then the knife comes out 
and as it comes out and as, as it's selling, there was a lot of anger about it. People were very upset about it. I think expectations were low. And there were many people, it turns out, who had never touched one. Many people had never held a, never held one. And they were buying right. it based purely on the hype and the FOMO. And they were going into it expecting to be disappointed. And what happened, I've noticed, is that in the group, there's been at least 20 posts from people going, well, I bought one. I didn't think I would, but I did. And now it's here. And guess what? It's really pretty nice. <laughs> there's right. not been a lot of people that have gone, hated it. There, there have been some. But uh, what I'm noticing is that a lot of them are going, holy cow, this is this is really a good knife. I didn't realize how nice it would be. You know, the lockup is nice. The action is excellent. The knife opens and closes very easily right out of the box. I haven't adjusted mine yet, and mm -hmm. it, it flies right open. It's fantastic. The lock bar doesn't stick. Um, and guess what? You don't necessarily have to have a lock bar insert on a knife. There are lots of small knife makers that don't use lock bar inserts, and they do just fine. I know right. it, it's about the geometry more than it's about steel and steel. And, you know, I've got a K2 in my knife case over here that is a good argument to the contrary that they do need them because mm. that crazy knife, you know, the lockup on it is insane and it takes two hands to unlock it. So that's right. unacceptable in the world of a $400 knife. You can't do right. that. But here we have a knife that's sold out, I think, in 13 or 14 minutes. Yeah, it took me a full time. 12. So I know it took at least that yeah. long. And I do know how many that they ordered and I do know how many were sold. And it was a lot. It was a lot and more than I thought. So mm -hmm. the fact that it sold out that quickly means that there's a crap load of these out there. Um, I know that the dealer is very pleased with how it went. You know, Chris at Knife Joy is very happy with how it went. Um, I, I, I would call I would call it a big hit. Like I have this one and I also have an original and it is better than my original. It is, it is better. It is a little bit better made than the original. Mm. Um, but I do really, really like this mirror finish too. On the yeah, to me, I think that that finish looks prettier, but I prefer yeah. belt satin for use just cause like the, the type yeah. of cutting I do with it, I find it just shows the wear a little bit less. It does. Um, but to me, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm still on the fence whether I'm going to keep this thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like it more than I liked the one I reviewed the first time because when I reviewed the one the first time, it was not a user and it was a loner. And so all I could do was fidget with it at my desk. And it's not, it for where I set the bar, it's not a good fidgety knife. <laughs> it's just, it, it doesn't do the things that I like when I fidget with a knife. The whole access isn't very good. I can middle finger flick it, which helps, but it's not intuitive or easy. Thumb flicking it, I still struggle with. Slow rolling isn't really my thing. I, but I have a very I, hard time finger flicking it because of the way the lock bar sits yeah. so far up on the hole. It's very hard to get your finger in there without pushing on the lock bar. Yeah. So it's pretty obviously not designed for that. I have a feeling the man that designed this is just slow rolling with his thumb. Correct. But you can thumb flick it. Right. But I, I have found what's interesting to me, the most parallel thing I can compare it to is the fluted native. <laughs> um, because that knife had a lock type that I didn't like, which made deployment not fun at all for me. But the more I carried and used that knife, the more I loved it because it 
was truly an excellent knife to carry and use and to cut things with. And with this, it's been kind of the same thing. Like I found myself even when I pull it out of pocket because I don't want to worry about where I'm putting my hand. I got a PM2. Middle finger flicking is the most thoughtless thing ever for me. I don't have to concentrate to do it. On this, I don't want to deal with that. So I find myself pulling it out and slow rolling it like I did with that native. And then when I cut with it, it's just a breeze and it works really well. Right. Ergos are great. So it's like one yeah. of those things where it's redeeming itself in use, which is one of those things people say all the time. Like, oh, who cares what a knife fidgets like? It's supposed to just be to use. It's a tool. Like, get a fixed blade is what I usually say to that. Um, there, but that's I, a, And that's a valid point of view for knife guys. It really is. Sure. I understand. I understand. I don't live that life. And I under, I respect that you do. And I understand why you would feel that way. I'm okay with it. I don't um, respect people coming into comment sections and making it like, how dare you talk about action on a Norseman? Like <laughs> what? Like that. They lose me. Yeah, when, the when scum they're... and villainy of the YouTube channel comment section is just bottomless. It's, it's so hilarious. crazy how, how inappropriate some of those guys are. I know you're watching right now. Some of you. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely are. It's yeah. It's, I'm, I'm fine with the people who to themselves privately are like, I only buy knives that I can use as tools. And I'm going to use them as tools and I'm not going to worry about all that fidgeting nonsense that the kids are into these days. That's fine. And I can, like, like you said, I can even agree to a large extent that they're right. You know, like if you look at it as an object, a knife is designed to cut things and everything else is superfluous. <laughs> but to go in and start yeah. talking, injecting yourself into conversations about knives that are designed to fidget well. And then complaining that people are talking about how they fidget is just asinine. That's like, part, but that's part of what makes Spyderco so magical is they do make knives for that purpose, right? Right. If you want a hard use a knife that you can drop off a ladder, they make those. It's called an Indela. It's got an FRN handle. It's got VG10 steel, which you can't damage. It's it's perfectly perfect for that type of thing, you know. So yep. you don't have to buy you don't have to buy the Ferrari knife and then complain that it isn't an F one fifty. It doesn't right. make sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're commenting on a video about a Holt and you're like, shut up about the action. Let's hear about how it cuts. Like right. You're, you're missing 90% of what a Holt is built for. Right. <laughs> it's, it's 10% built to cut. And it I'm does that 10% really glove. well. Yeah, true. <laughs> but, and there are people like my buddy, Nick Rogers, who's been on the podcast um, he's the guy behind niche designs. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I respect Nick so much is because I don't know how long he's had it, but it's been a while. He bought a skiff and it's not the drifter. It's the one that's like a trailing point. Hey, Jake. looking blade. Yep. I have a visitor. My little girl is at the door. Oh, <laughs> can, you, can you pause it for a second? Yeah. One sec. Be right back. <laughs> what was I, I saying? I think I was talking about skiff. For some reason, a skiff knife. Yes, I was talking about Nick, my buddy Nick Rogers. Yes, he Nick has Rogers. a skiff because we were talking about people using their stuff, <laughs> high-end knives, and how some people never use knives like a Holt or whatever it is. But part of why I really respect Nick. Great, I've got it. We're here. Um, it's because he bought a skiff, and I looked it up. It's called the Culprit. I think is the model that he has. Okay, and. Gorgeous knife. I've held it. It's the knife that's like in his pocket most of the time. And he went with the Dama steel blade because at the time, I think the highest end steel that Skiff was using was like 
I know now they use CPM 154 sometimes. I want to say they were using 154 CM or something. And really? the, the Damas deal they were using at the time was actually the higher performance option. Right. And so he got that and it has like Timascus clip and stuff. And it's like a gorgeous, really dressy version of a skiff, which is already a crazy nice knife. Yeah. And it was like kind of a grail for him. He bought it and it goes in his pocket and he cuts everything with it. And it is his user knife and it is what you'll find in his pocket 90% of the time. Um, and I love that. And I just, I think it's awesome that some people will buy the Ferrari, if you will, if we're making this analogy, even though Ferraris aren't my favorite supercars, but someone will go buy the Ferrari and then they will take it to the track and they will drive it to its limits and they'll bring it back home and then they'll do it again. And it's not like, oh, I, I tracked my Ferrari one time. It's not like, oh, I got my Koenig and I cut something with it. Like there are people who drive their supercars hard all the time and yeah, take them to Porsche, race called Porsche owners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you go up Angeles Crest Highway here just north of L.A., and you look at the people who are driving Porsche 911s. It's I've been when I owned an Audi, I would go on Canyon cruises and stuff and push right. that car, which had limits far below what a 911 turbo would. But um, there's something about getting the really nice tool that a lot of people wouldn't have the cojones to like really use to its limits because it depreciates or whatever the reasoning is, but to just like use that thing. And so I've made the contention quite a few times that like when I was talking about the Norseman in my review right. recently, it irks me that they would, that they would be looked at <clears throat> as like a pinnacle tool, right? As a pinnacle knife offering. And yet they use CPM 154 or RWL 34 and there's no higher tier steel option and they cost a thousand dollars. And it's like, I don't care what their reasoning is because I don't agree with it. I, I couldn't care less what the excuses are of somebody making a thousand dollar knife and using a steel that isn't optimum, like isn't even arguably the best for the case. Because if you're, if you're charging that much for a thing, then either charge me another 20 or 50 bucks and use the better steel because that's the material cost or like lower your price <laughs> by a lot to reflect what materials are going into it. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I struggle to wrap my mind around some of those choices, but I also think it's respectable for people who are like, Hey, I love D2 and I use D2 all the time. Like both things can be true. It doesn't mean that Grimsmo should be putting CPM 154 on $1,000 knives. It happens sometimes that you'll hear about a, a musician who will come into the music world and they'll be like, this guy has eight, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts and he's also a mathematician and he started a band and he'll make music that's very math and jiu-jitsu influenced and you're supposed to appreciate it because it's so clever or because it's so interesting or novel and in the end it's like does it jam or does it not you know and I on one hand when it comes to Grimsmo I've handled a few I've handled a couple Norsemans and I've handled three Rasks mm -hmm. and they're remarkably interesting to play with because of the way they feel in your hand, the way that they're manufactured and milled, the way that they're machined is really impressive. There's a lot of thought into everything on that knife. It's very deliberate. If you go on YouTube and you watch the new Grimsmo Rast 2.0 video, he spends an hour and a half talking about how it's different than the first one. Mm -hmm. And 
it's pretty damn compelling to listen to how thoughtful they are about everything. Like they use T9s, I think. Mm -hmm. Or is it T7s? I think it's, uh, yeah, it's one or the other. It's an odd number, which right. is it's different. an odd number. It's like, cause they can, right. Maybe they get it for cheaper because whoever's making those torque screws, they're like, no one, no one will buy the odd numbers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they make all their own. Yeah, I'm sure so they do. Can, they make yeah. their own and they, they do it because they can. Right. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that about them, but it doesn't, you have to be the one ultimately to decide like, what is it that drives you towards buying it? Is it the fact that it's an effective cutting tool or is it the cleverness in the manufacturer or is it the, the, the je ne sais quoi that they have, they've just got that it and you would, you identify with it and you're drawn to it. You know, um, another example I can think of is the Spyderco Yojimbo, which everybody who owns a Yojimbo will tell you all about how good it is for self-defense and how tactical it is. And that's right. very true, but I will never need a tactical knife. I live in central Indiana. There's no such thing as violent, violent attack where you're going to defend yourself with a knife unless you're doing something that grandma told you not to like stand out after 2 AM, you know? Yeah. So that knife may set, push all the buttons for a tactical knife, but I just don't need that in my life. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate to me. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything to me. So as much as respectable as that blade is, it's just not interesting in my world. And I'm, I'm like you when it comes to the the Norsemen, they're picking a blade steel it, with all the attention they put into everything else. They thought about the blade steel alloy that they're going to use. They did. They thought about it long and hard and they've ruled out everything but that one. I promise. So what is it about that steel that is so interesting to them? I can probably guess that it's easy to mill because they refuse to grind anything. And I don't know why. I don't know why they would do it the hard way other than just to see if they can. Maybe there's the there's the Everest aspect of it. Can we do it that way? And that's why they've chosen to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and it is but true. Most there's people, people are. Who, there's people who mill M390 though. <laughs> like I just. It happens. There's a, there's other people who do it is usually what I come to. Right. Where it's like if other people are doing it, then the excuse that it like that's undoable becomes invalid. <laughs> well, if you're going to make it an Everest situation where you climb it because it's there then why not go with a higher steel? Why not go with yeah. a, a more difficult steel? It's already hard. Do it the harder, do yeah. it the harder way, you know? And that's just that the, when I look at it that way, like when you look at a Porsche, if you're looking at a top tier modern Porsche, there's a couple of routes you could look at what you might consider a top tier Porsche these days. They don't make the 918 anymore, but so <clears> let's, <throat> let's just imagine within the realm of the 911, you can go, Turbo S, which is going to be as plush with the features as is possible in a 911 and is still bonkers fast. Right. Or you can go full race car and go like GT2 RS, which I don't think they're even currently producing the GT2 RS because now they're on the 992. But anyways, imagine you're looking at a 991. Currently. Yeah, the GT3 did just come out. So you can go like race car route or you can go like plush like road and canyon still supercar but a little more like respectable on the road a little bit less stiff it's damp and different all that but either way if you go with the brand new gt3 they're still in this day and age they're still going to put a radio in it it's still going to have nice comfortable seats air conditioning so, yeah it's all going to be like if you're buying a porsche they're not going to 
cheap out on any component in that car when you're looking at a top tier 911. <laughs> they don't it's put just, an inline three in it. Weird. Yeah. And then if you look at like, if you go the other end of the spectrum and you're looking at like quote unquote performance cars, but that are budget, you might think maybe like the Toyota 86 or the Mazda Miata or like things in that realm, like little rear wheel drive, two seater economical cars that you could track and you can tune and all that there. You can potentially get something really cheap that you can still go pretty fast in and will be missing things, right? So if you're talking about low-end knives that they're squeaking M390 into, <laughs> then yes, the rest of the knife might not be all that nice. But when you start start talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars for a car, they can't get away with not putting nice features in it because it's fast. And so like that's kind of where my brain goes with these really right. expensive knives where they still like, all right, we're going to make the Porsche GT3, but because we know most of our buyers aren't going to drive it fast, we're just going to put the Turbo 4 that comes in the base Cayman into it. And that'll be great. People won't even notice the difference because they're hardly going to drive it anyways. Like that's what I think is happening when people are choosing steels like RWL 34 and CPM 154 for knives that cost this much. And to be fair, those steels are objectively fine. Like they're they're actually quite good in a number of ways, but it's inarguable that they're not the fastest, they're not the best, they're not the most powerful. And it's like, and to me, it's not a matter of whether or not they're good or not. It's a matter of are they current or are they obsolete. And yeah. RWL thirty four is largely obsolete. You know, O one steel is obsolete. Uh, yeah. Those things have been supplanted by things that are superior, and continuing to use a, an inferior steel. There's no there's no logical reason to do that when there's something superior out there other than um, it's familiar. And that's okay too, but I think people just have to make a decision for themselves. You know, I feel the same way about D2 steel. Everybody who wants to talk about D2 steel always follows it with a dot, dot, dot for the money. And I don't know. Next time I buy a $40 knife, I don't know. I'm going to be hyper fixated on anything other than grip you know, and, and, and I don't know, edge geometry, I guess, like, yeah, is it, is it a wedge or is it a knife? So, yep. yeah, I, I don't know. We see that a lot with D2, right? Well, XHP steel was designed to be the replacement for D2 and it's twice as tough. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't you just use that other steel? It's not, a, it's not a lot more money. It's probably yeah. a few cents per blade. And what's crazy is XHP is still one of those steels that like, when you see it on those knives that are in that high, high price tier, like low level production, very expensive knives. If it has XHP, sometimes I even catch myself like, oh, good. At least it's got XHP. And it's like, I like XHP, but I don't a thousand dollars like it. <laughs> I Not even close. I, I just, when I can get, and I think we meant to talk about these anyways, but when you can get Vanex, for 300, 350 bucks in a production, relatively limited. Sometimes they're not in stock, but they're they're frankly pretty available. If you want one of these, it's not impossible to get a quiet carry drift or a waypoint in Vanex. Six or seven times a year, you're gonna be able to buy that knife. Yeah, and even when you can't on the site, they're not insane on the secondary. Oftentimes right. you can find one for what they cost new. 
if maybe these are, 20 these are 305 and you can get them for 295 on a knife swap, you know? Yep, exactly. And it's like, granted, this isn't built in the U S this isn't doing the things that those really crazy expensive knives are doing. But I think this is evidence that it's possible to use very premium materials and not cost insane amounts. The tactile knife co um, Rockwall that I just got, and I've actually just sent into them because they're, I talked about that, I think in my last podcast, they're updating the detent for me, which is awesome of them because mine is number 95 and somewhere after number 95, they figured out how to make it snappier. And so they're just updating it for me for free, paid for shipping to them, like awesome situation. That knife is in XHP and it's $300 with really fancy, very cool milling all over it built in the U S right here in Texas. Like it's possible to be doing these things. And I think a lot of the reasons why it hasn't been happening for a number of the companies that are playing the expensive U S made knife game is because no one's been making them not do it. There hasn't been somebody who's providing something that competes with them in any way and, and plays their game, but at a lower cost or with better materials. And, and now you're starting to see, some people notice that gap and try to fill it. And I'm super excited about that because I'd like for like, there's been a budget knives arms race for the last like two or three years with Civivi and CJRB. And like, there's these brands that are like trying to, to have the recognition as being the best budget knife brand. And I think Civivi kind of won that at the moment. I think yeah. that's kind of, yeah. The zeitgeist. And I would agree from the ones that I've handled for the money. I think they're great. The D2 for the money that they're using is great, but I'd love to see that arms race take place now in the like four to $900 us made knife space. <laughs> like we need more people who are on par with Koenig. Cause there's just, the, there aren't many people who are doing it, but there's a couple who are, I think trying now. So. I'm I'm excited about the tactile knife just like you are. I think it's really interesting. Their pens are obviously really good and very popular, you know. So now they're segueing into something else. I've I've handled that one. It's really cool. Yeah. In fact, that crap. I need to get one before it's too late. Right. Yeah. They're since it's the seasonal one. You know. Yeah. Have yeah. Unlimited time. Pretty sweet color. Mm -hmm. Um, I did get to handle a tactile knife, and it was sent to me to be exported to a friend of mine that lives overseas. Mm. And he, I'm his, I'm his waypoint, uh, for sending things. And when I got it, he asked me to inspect it and look at it. And he really wanted my opinion of it because once he has it, there's no going back. Right. Right. And I opened it and I, I was underwhelmed and mm. the knife that kept coming into my head that was just undeniably better was the, uh, the waypoint mm. to me, there was a lot of similarities in, in at least the shape and the feel in the hand and, but what I did see was I saw a lot of potential. The serial number was pretty low. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this one has some things in it that I'd, I'm not crazy about. But I imagine in the next couple hundred knives, they're going to get better at this. Things are going to yeah. get better. So I'm actually in line and I think I'm in the thousands. I'm like 1,030 or something. And oh, nice. I haven't really been paying attention to it because I'm hearing now that the numbers are jacked. But it, when it happens, it happens, right? When it happens, yeah. I'll, I'll probably get it because I'll, I think by then... They will have improved their ta their craft a little bit, 
And yeah, they've I mean, said so. they, they've specifically made statements like, hey, our new ones that we're making, we've learned things and we're doing right. them differently. And I commend that. I think right. far too many makers would be afraid to admit that they because they're so defensive of the the their early work that they don't want to act like it was inferior to what they're making now. But I think that's great if they can honestly be like, yeah, look, the ones we're making now have a better detent. We figured out the machining to make it even more precise and like all of this stuff. It's just, it's only gotten better. And, and to your credit, my friend was very worried. He said, what do we do? And I said, well, let me return it. And he's like, what do you mean? Cause in the country he lives in, there's no such thing as returns. When you <laughs> buy something, it's yours no matter what. And if you don't like it, you can, you can take off. They don't, there's no sympathy for that. Mm -hmm. And I had to explain to him what a return meant. And then I had to explain to him how to get a return. And, and he was very, it took a lot of handholding. I didn't think, I didn't really think about how different that would be for him. Mm -hmm. So he wrote an email to them and I more or less told him what to say. And to their credit, they said, no problem. We don't want you to have a knife you don't love. So send it back. Right. And he, yeah. he wrote me back and he goes, I can't believe it. And they even sent him a, a shipping label. He was shocked at that. Um, yep. So they were very gentlemanly about it. And knowing my friend and knowing his tastes and preferences in knives, he would have been underwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't, it wasn't where he would be satisfied. So, yeah. and to their credit, they took it back and I'm, I'm more than willing to try it when my turn comes. I'm very excited to, to check it out. Yeah. I imagine, so even the one that I already had was number 95, right? That's what I just sent back to them. And that one was already, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah. But the detent was really my only, like, <clears throat> not even gripe, but it just wasn't exciting at all to me. Because if it's going to be flipper only, in my opinion, it should be really snappy. Like, that's yeah. what you want a flipper to be. If there's no other deployment method to be slightly soft for, it should be snappy. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for when that knife comes back because I already loved the way it carried. I liked the ergos. I think it's a little more comfortable in my hand than the waypoint because it is so much more chamfered and kind of rounded. It's a little bit yeah. thicker. Um, and yeah, but they, they are super similar knives. But yeah, when I get that one back, I've already talked to, I think the guy's name is Will over there. He's going to come on the podcast because I'm... Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, I'm intrigued to talk to him because... I just, I, I think it's cool to observe that they're, they're playing that game and they already have like machining know-how and they already exist in the space because of their pens. They know who they're selling to and they get it. They seem like they're knife guys and that's why their design is pretty good right off the bat. And they're like shamelessly, we're doing this in Texas. We're a U.S. company. They have crazy good warranty. They're doing all the things that everyone raves about from the other U.S. companies and I think there's there's just a, a crazy good amount of potential there to see yeah. a player like that yeah. who in their first couple hundred knives have already improved <laughs> dramatically. That's a that's a good sign. Isn't it fun to be able to talk to your heroes? Yep. It's I love that about this medium. You know, I've been able to talk to some people that I admire a lot and it's I'm very it right now, Jason. That's right, and you included, of course. Naturally. <laughs> But, I was uh, saying you're you're my hero is what I was oh, saying. Oh, the other way around. Oh, I thought you <laughs> meant you were speaking for yourself as my hero. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's really it's really fun to have that to be able to talk to them. like I would love to I'd love to pick his brain and and uh, find out how they tick. But yeah, yeah. My favorite cool. podcast so far, 
I don't know. It's hard to actually pick favorites because the ones where I'm talking with friends are also their own kind of enjoyable. Right. But the ones where like, I haven't really known the other person that well coming into it and they just do something that I think is cool. Like Brian Brown sticks out right off the bat because I had never, I don't think I'd heard his voice. No, I had because he'd been on your show. Um, but I didn't catch the, the whole show. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch the whole thing when he was on and then it wasn't yeah. watchable after. Um, but I, I hit it off like pretty well with him and have talked he to him. He's such a great guy. Then. He's and such a great guy. If I go broke at Blade Show to get one of his knives, it'll be worth it. There you go. And it was so yeah. helpful for me at the phase I was at, especially right then when I had him on with where I was and trying to get a knife into production, like being able to have that conversation invaluable, just unfair <laughs> how yeah. nice that was for me. Yeah. And to talk to Joseph Vero long form and Ben Peterson and like these people who they know it's, I, I always struggle to say people know more than I do or less than I do. I think people just know different things a lot of the time, but they are so much more well-versed in arenas that I I don't know enough about yet and want to. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a, yeah, it's one of the coolest things about the channel. For, for those sure, guys, it's this. more, it's more. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I'm usually the one who knows the least in, in this arena right here, but I do know, I, I know a lot about useless stuff. So that's good. That's true. <laughs> this, this knife has become my new definition for, how much were these? Were they 350 or 300? I think they were 350. I paid 400 for mine secondary. I yeah. would hold it up, but it's loaned out to Kyle I, right now. I think these were 350, but this has become my new benchmark for if you're going to be 350, are you better than this knife? You know, and to go back to the, the well tread path that we just covered with the Sliz, is it better than this knife? Of course it isn't. I can tell you which I would keep. It's not better. It's preferentially which one do you like better? That's what it comes down to. But you can't argue that this Riot made um, Brian Brown isn't a better knife in terms of fit and finish and attention to detail and just the little things. It's it's a nicer knife. Yeah, um, I have the one that's no flipper with inlays. And it's funny, like when I did my recent top 10 update video, I think I placed it number five because, yeah, let me think. It was Koenig Aries was number one, and then it was the Holt Haptic, which I've now traded. Um, and then it was the CKF Evo 2.0, which I think I'm about to sell. Please don't message me, everybody. It'll go to a buddy. Don't um, at me, bro. Yeah. And then number four was the Mini Goblin, and then number five was the Jaeger. But it's funny because even like, those knives make sense in my head that they were ahead of it. And it like, it just felt like it had to happen that way. But really like, I don't know, in my heart of hearts, a lot of the time I think of it as the only knife that like the only knife I'd actually put ahead of it is the Arius. And when I compare it to any of those other knives that finished ahead of it, it's like, if I were to really battle myself on it, I could convince myself that the Jaeger M I actually prefer. It might not be nicer, especially than like the Holt haptic, obviously, but I, I traded the haptic and I'm not planning on letting go of my Jaeger. So that's also an indicator. I just, I adore that knife, the proportions, the weight, the feel, the action, the grind, like the way it works, the way it looks, all of it just comes together to be 
absolutely one of my favorite knives for sure. Overall, I I'm usually not a fan of this blade shape, and this knife is particularly useful. That tip style and the edge, it's very very useful. It's a very practical knife. Um, my only my only criticism of knives like this. And it's just, I think it's mostly me. It's no one's fault. When you carry a knife like this, the way that the pocket clip attaches to the knife on the side of the knife, it means that your pocket is going to basically terminate right about here. Mm -hmm. So you have three quarters to an inch of the knife sticking out of your pocket. And, you know, you're putting your seatbelt on. Are you going to bump it as you go to buckle your seatbelt? Um, you rub up against the corner of the countertop in the kitchen. Are you going to scuff all the anodization off the back of your clip? Um, I, if these could ride just a little bit deeper in the pocket, I would feel better about carrying them because I'd be less likely to mangle them. But I'm really right. good at demolishing pocket clips by catching them on things. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I do is I'm left-handed. So I'm going to carry this knife in my left pocket. And when you're putting a seatbelt on and off, it's very easy for the seatbelt to get under the clip. Mm -hmm. And it'll yank the knife right out of your pocket and it'll be in the parking lot. So I have not yet driven off with a knife in the parking lot, but it would be very easy to do. I have found yeah. them on the, on the, on the uh, seatbelt before I'll go back to my car and I'll look and I, I'm looking for my knife and it's I'll clipped find it. on. Yeah. It's clipped to the bottom of the belt at the bottom of the, you know, by the door. Oh, and, man. Yeah. I don't know the right solution for that other than it's called the getting, wire clip. <laughs> yeah. The wire clip. Yeah. Or getting the clip to attach like somehow to the end of the knife would do yeah, it. But that usually ends in like a screw that's there. And then seemingly everybody <clears throat> who does that thinks that this only solution is to use a glass breaker because you're putting a screw there anyways. And that makes me want to stab myself in the eyeballs. Um, yeah. I, that's one of those interesting decisions like with the Avant that, Ryan and I are creating. Um, By the way, you hold that knife up and open it and close it. And I can see all of the things that you love about knives in that knife. Yep. Like the opener is very clearly inspired by an Idaho made knife. The blade shape is very inspired by that Idaho knife. And that's hilarious. Have, you have clip screw holes that are exactly going to fit uh, uh, Spyderco clip, I imagine. Yeah. So if you look at our first drawings and when I have Ryan on the podcast, we might screen share some of those drawings the initial like profile really didn't look like this right and i didn't think at any point while we were making it Arius. i didn't think at any point while we were making it pm2 i didn't think any of that stuff we just finessed it to where it was like what we wanted out of it and then the opening hole happened just kind of after the profile was done, it was like, we knew we wanted a hole and then we wanted one that matched the shape the way we liked it. And it's funny because <clears> afterwards uh, people were like, that looks Kaiser like an Aries. <laughs> no, people, people say it looks like an Aries. And I had never even considered until I heard somebody else say it, that it looks like an Aries. And absolutely. Yeah, I can see it, but it makes sense. It's my favorite knife. And the PM2 is one of my favorite user knives. So there's right. a lot of PM2 in it. Well, I love Strider Ergo. So you can kind of see a little bit of like a bump back here. And there's there's influence for sure. Yeah. But yeah. When we were, so when we we're deciding what clip to go with on this knife, the original idea was just to do a like three hole pattern that could fit a Lynch clip, an MXG clip. We'd have a clip on it, obviously. But if people wanted to swap to a clip of their preference, We'd start deep carry, but people could change to a different clip if they wanted to. 
And that's, um, I think that's a great solution because when you look at the MXG catalog, they have piles insane of insane amount of stuff. And now so, you can choose whatever you want. The interesting thing about that though was like with screw placement and stuff for the backspacer that's going in and all of the internals to play with and all that, it ended up making more sense. And we both just agreed they're our favorite clips to just go wire clip. And so the trade-off with that, unfortunately, is it's going to do kind of one of my pet peeves and there's going to mm -hmm. be a tiny corner of the knife that sticks out because of that last screw. And so from an engineering standpoint, it wouldn't work to use that screw for the clip. And it also doesn't work to like make a crazy deep wire clip because the grooves would have to go where a screw, like it's a whole thing. But I understand. Um, by going wire clip, a, my favorite clips ergonomically in my hands are wire clips. My favorite clips to actually carry in my pocket are wire clips. And like, there's all these advantages in use. And then it makes it super easy to make it ambidextrous to where it's just a hole and two grooves on the other side, which doesn't look crazy weird. You don't have to fill it in with a tab or anything. And so it's just like, it makes it from an engineering standpoint, like kind of a solution to use that clip. And right. I also just freaking love them. Like they're, they are my favorite clips to carry and use. They, they, I find them superior because when you do brush up against the counter in your kitchen, it bounces right off. Everything glances off of a wire clip because it's so round. It's so forgiving. Yes. I've brushed up against the paint on my own car and looked like, oh crap, I think I just, and like, there's nothing there. It just, they tend to bounce off of things in a really nice way and they feel great in hand. So it's like, why not just use that so this is this is stupid but it's true um there's also safe on your couch you're not gonna you're not gonna catch the fabric on your couch and put a big hole in it yep so if you're a knife guy you don't want to spend money on couches or if you get into tickle fights with your kids you don't want to have to pull the knife out of your pocket and go set it somewhere because you're getting into a wrestling match with your six-year-old like <laughs> it's it's fun to just be a dad and not have to, like, go set your things down because right. you have a sharp pocket clip like I've had that happen before. Not like bad, like my kid's actually gotten hurt, but my kid like, ow, your knife got me. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, that's not what you want to hear. But it's no. just like the sharp pocket clip and it like scratch your arm or whatever. And it's like, you feel terrible because you're just messing around and your pocket clip like is the culprit. Yeah. Right. Why? Why make right. sharp pocket clips? I don't sympathize with that. I agree. Yeah. I that's took a joke those... out of a grand piano once. Ooh. I was walking between two pianos and took a chunk out of the finish. So was it your own piano? No, it was, I was, was going to uh, say for you to have two grand pianos, that would be yeah. really impressive. <laughs> that was in my other house. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, the music store I used to work at. I was walking between the pianos and caught it on the side and it was, it was embarrassing. So they had to bring in the expert to come clean it up. Just like a, just like a, a, a car dealership they yeah. they had a guy and the guy just took care of it Oof. um so while we're on the pocket clip subject have you tried one of the new vero pocket clips yet for an axon or anything i know he's coming <clears throat> with no some retrofits it's it's supposed to be the clip that comes on the um on the fulcrum so i suppose i've handled it mm. uh, and i have one here that i can't find where is it there it is yeah, so I have a Fulcrum Mini, or the Mini Fulcrum. I can never remember which order those words go in. Um, but it's hard to know, like, ergonomically how it's going to work. And on the Mini Fulcrum, I never put it in pocket because those rubber bands get in the way. Mm -hmm. um, so it just it lives in my fanny pack. 
but I'm wondering ergonomically and in pocket really how how much of a difference it'll make. I'm excited that he's done that because that was my uh, across all four Vero knives that I've reviewed at this point. That was the one thing that was consistent across every review is like my complaint was the pocket clip. And so the fact that he's put a little plateau on it. And I think he also said he increased the gap between the knife and the scales, which is the other half of it. Like yeah. if, that, if that new clip is better, I think it'll be on the isotope too. So, so as, as a moderator of the Vero group, I can tell mm-hmm. you that uh, that is a common refrain. Um, you, you were not alone to have that, that point that not only, not only is it stabby in your hand, but also, um, it does objectively come up pretty high. Mm-hmm. And then as a, a piece of feedback that I've had is I felt like this part back here needed to be taller to make room for, for blue jeans. Yep. And to his credit, the man heard us and he found a solution. So it is going to be taller here. And then it has somewhat of a platform here. It reminds me of like a, um, what is that square root symbol? Mm-hmm. So it's going to have a little bit of a flat as it comes yep. off. So you do feel it as being more comfortable here. And then if it's taller at this end, I'll be, I'll be very happy about it. But the weird thing is, is that knife to knife, I find that the in pocket carry varies. Mm. So on the XL Synapse, no issues. Drops right into my pocket, good to go. Mm. On my Impulse, it was a problem. And I had to shim it to make it work better so that I could wear it in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And now I don't have a problem. Um, on my on my Impulse Gen 1, no issues. Drops right into my pocket. So that's been interesting, that model to model. It's been worse in some models than others. Yeah. Snaps Gen 1 is more of a problem than the Gen 2. So I don't I know why. My, I think my Axon, part of the problem may very well have been the combination of it already being a really narrow space and then it also being micarta, which naturally has some texture and yeah. could potentially swell and all that. So it was like if it was on smooth titanium, although my Impulse Mini was just as hard to get in and out of pocket as my Axon was, yeah. and that was smooth titanium. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the Impulse Mini was definitely slimmer. So, yeah. Well, yeah um, it's cool I'm, that he's he's listening, and that's like a CQI type of thing, you know? Like, And I don't know this to be true, but I do no, – let me say, rephrase that. I've heard him talk on the point many times, and in his mind, the clip originally as designed – was very comfortable. So in his hand for his use, it was, it was fine and didn't need to be adjusted. But when your customer base tells you something is so you have to weigh it and you have to consider it because ultimately they're the ones that pay the bills. You can't buy all your own knives. So for him to listen and and take the feedback and fix it, it was a, you know, a welcome change from everyone. Yeah. There's a balance there too, though, because if you too easily listen to feedback, then I think you can lose your way as a, you a can end up with a designer. Car. Yeah. Your every, every suggestion, every, every piece of feedback all makes it to the final product. Then there's no editing. Right. So that's very true. Yeah. That's one of those things like my buddy, Chris, um, renegade EDC. He, uh, he has a knife that he has prototypes of right now. And I've been lucky to chat with him quite a bit as he's been working through designing it, working with an OEM and all that kind of stuff. 
And it's funny because like the name of his knife is the Gungnir, um, which is the name of Odin's spear. And it's not a spear point. And so a bunch of people have been like, well, it should be a spear point. And he's like, well, I didn't name it to literally be like, this right. is a spear. It you doesn't have to, up. doesn't have to be the object, but it's just a funny illustration where like, I've seen from having a channel and now from creating the Avant and starting to share the design and all this stuff, you do get a lot of just feedback from people where it's like that I've, I've had a number of people tell me that this knife needs to have multi row bearings and it needs to be Timascus full dress, like stuff that I'm not going to do. Just, I'm not going to do that. I have no interest yeah. in any of it. Um, you should have a then, Starbucks straw receptacle so I can order one of those recyclable straws and then stash it in the handle, but don't make it thicker. Right. But it's like, there's also, yeah, there's the balance of when the knife is out, if overwhelmingly, or even just the majority, whether it's a small majority or whatever, people tell me like, this could be better if it does this, then I should listen and I should take that. And then I should go my own way of addressing it too, as the designer, obviously with Ryan, we're 50, 50. I, I, since he's not here <laughs> myself saying me a lot, um, which right, isn't right. fair, but like it's our project. And so if people complain about the pocket clip to us, we're going to do with that information, what we feel is the best way to move forward. And I, I think people sometimes get so invested as a consumer that they think that the maker needs to listen to them. And that's a, a weird a weird thing that happens as well, whether they're friends with the maker or not, people get this, this sense of like, Oh, he needs, he needs my feedback on this. It's like <clears throat> a lot of the time people don't. <laughs> yeah. And even though I have inside access to Joseph, anytime I want it, I can text him or I can email him or I can call him. I don't, I don't bother the man. <laughs> He's busy, right. you know, and one man's opinion is just one man's opinion. So he doesn't need to hear my opinion on every little thing. The man gets plenty of in, plenty of input comes his way through all the social media channels. Right. So if he has a question for me, I'll be honored if he asks me and I'll give him an answer. But otherwise, I'm kind of leaving him alone because he, he's getting enough of it. So yeah. And I think part of it is also like the the process has to happen on its own to an extent, like he needs to go through the process like any maker of creating designs, making them real. And then he needs to do his own testing and experiencing with them, right? Mm -hmm. Like he gets prototypes for a reason. And then he, he is Vero knives. Those knives are what come from his brain. And so if he loses some of the aspect of it all being him creating it, and it starts to become a little bit of a like design by committee where he's letting people weigh in too much, then the knives will feel less like him. And then maybe we don't right. get to an ultimate Vero model that comes from the progression of him creating 10 models before it that he likes a lot, but then he's learning a little bit from each one. I, I think you could lose that if you listen to too many people, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those like, to be cliche and say something that you could say in a workplace meeting. It's all about balance. Like it really kind of is though. Like you can't be deaf to what people are saying. You can't just shut the world out and like lock yourself in a room and design and not listen to what other people have to say, but you also can't give too much credence to what. So the current corporate jargon is called level setting. Uh, you need to level set. So you'll seek feedback and then you'll level set. And that's, that's the process, right? 
yeah, it's been too long since I've been in any kind of corporate world. I genuinely didn't even know that. I didn't know that was a term. Can I, uh, can I plug in, uh, shamelessly plug a knife company that I have no affiliation with? Of but course. Deser deserves a little love. You could do it if you had an affiliation with them and I wouldn't stop you. Fair. And if I did, I would tell you, but I don't. Um, back in December, January, somewhere in there, I heard about a, a company that was small that I needed to look at and they were called Edgar Cole. Mm. So Edgar Cole is run by two guys and my God, I can't remember their names right now. I think it's Gabe and Rob. That's it. Gabe and Rob. Those are the two guys that run it mm -hmm. and they make a knife called the Chimera. Yeah. When you say Edgar Cole, my, my brain, um, I like automatically finishes that with Chimera because that's the only model I'm aware of that they make. When I think Edgar Cole, I think Cole Hahn, and then I think shoes, and then <laughs> okay. I think about dress pants. That's what I think. But yeah, this knife, the Chimera, is their only model, and it's sort of a semi-custom situation. When you order it, they build you a bespoke knife mm -hmm. from a you know a, a list of op options that are available. Mm -hmm. um, the their their Instagram is beautiful. Lots of beautiful pictures of knives on there. All of them pretty unique. It's not often they repeat. And um, each one is sort of a, a, a consultative process where you get with them and you talk about what you want. And then they they draw it up and then tell you, you know, it'll be an eight-month wait. You owe us this much now and this much later. And that's the way they work. Um, but this knife is really exquisitely nice and it actually made me sell my specter that's how much i like it that's impressive um, i've never i've never experienced the knife on washers move the way this knife does mm. it really is incredible the way that it opens and closes the flipper tab is super comfortable to use the fuller grooves are purely functional and do nothing for you you cannot finger flick this knife uh. <laughs> <laughs> which makes you wonder why they're on there. And the, the, person tease. That, the person that designed this is the one that came up with it. Um, the way that it sounds when it opens and closes is so interesting. I'll put it by the microphone here. Just a really nice, simple tick. And when it closes, it just gives you like a little s subtle thumb. Mm -hmm. um, but I, as, I, as I play with this knife and fidget with it and use it a little bit, I can't find really much of anything that I would change about it. The The hatching pattern on the handle is very pretty. This one smiley groove that's in the middle is actually surprisingly nice for, for the grip of the knife. Mm. You're, if you play with it right-handed, your finger's going to be on it. If you do it left-handed, like me, I find that my fingers just sort of run down the side of the knife like that perfectly. Mm. Um, the blade thickness is thick and capable, but the grind is is nice. It's a full flat. It's tall, so yeah. It's very, very thin in the way that it slices. There's a couple of different blade steels available. And then just the fidget factor is through the roof on these. They're really excellent. So uh, the snobby cork sniffer friends of mine that go play in this space are really, really excited about these. And mm -hmm. I'm starting to see them pop up more and more with the guys that are always chasing the better knife. But I yeah. think in 2021... This, this company is going to continue to be a, a desirable knife to chase. Um, really excellent. And having, having handled rasks and handled multiple holts 
and uh, other knives in that space like Shiro's and other high-end knives. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you that these things are really worthwhile. So if any of you are out there looking for like the next thing, um, I'd recommend going to check them out. Um, the order process is a little, a little odd. Like I started one and I never finished it. And I wonder if I'm ruined forever. Like they'd never have me again. A part of me wonders that based on the experience of it, because it was like they were building me my own guitar or they were going to sew me a, a bespoke suit. Like that mm -hmm. was how the level that they wanted to get to know me. Like, what do you, what do you intend to use it for? And what do you have now? And what do you like in a knife? And they were really interviewing me almost mm -hmm. to find out if I was a good candidate to have one. So if you don't like that kind of thing, and I, I have lots of friends that don't, they, they find that really gross and they don't want anything to do with it. It's sort of an invasion of privacy mm. or they feel like they're, they're having to qualify. I don't know. It's like having to meet dad before you take a girl out on a date. Maybe I do great in interviews. So I would love that. <laughs> I, I found that I wasn't getting anywhere until I finally started talking about um, other hobbies. I was like, well, mm -hmm. listen, I have multiple guitars that have been made for me where I consulted with the builder and it took a long time, but it was really gratifying. And, and the, that part was very satisfying to me and it's something I enjoyed. And as I told that, I think to Gabe, um, Gabe was like, oh, no way. I play bass guitar and I know exactly what you mean. And all of a sudden, you know, we were friends and we understood mm. each other. So um, I, the more I do this, the more I like that kind of relationship with my knife maker. I want to be able to get granular about the features and the details of the knife and then have it made and have it turn out to, you know, exceed my expectations more than just an off the shelf knife, which I still buy, you know, I'm guilty right. of that. But these bespoke moments where you can really build it to your liking are really fun. So yeah. if any of you out there are looking for something to check out, I would recommend it. I don't think it'll be that long until I start, playing that game now i find myself getting closer and closer to it because like looking right. back a year ago i wouldn't have even pre-ordered a knife and like waited months for one and i do that all the time now i have way too many knives that i've pre-ordered in the last couple of months and it just like they'll get here when they get here you know yeah. and i used yeah. to be so like not okay with that because i don't know I feel like I was operating a little more from a place of like scarcity in the hobby where it was like, I was just trying to try a lot of things. And the idea of waiting with money on the hook was like, no, I could be buying other stuff in the meantime and trying other things. And, um, but now I do that a lot and for like fairly mm -hmm. expensive knives, like you, you take the isotope and I'm going to pre-order the new Brian Brown knife this Thursday. And like <laughs> you add a couple of those up, I could be, I could have a, a book spot for a custom from a maker that I like and be going through that process. And at the end of it, get something totally custom built for me, which it's like, when I look at it that way, I'm already kind of doing the waiting game and I'm keeping that much money on the hook. It's just for a couple things. Why don't I pull that together and make it one special thing? And it's like, right. I think I'm going to get there soon. But plus I just got the Keenison, which is my first actual like custom folder. And this thing is bananas. And uh, I don't know. Part of me is like, it's too it's really interesting to look at. Right. And uh, this one's an interesting story, too. So I guess uh, my buddy, Ryan, the one who I'm working on the Avant with, he helps out at Keenison on the weekends and uh, he works over there in the shop. And so he talks to Brian, who's at Keenison, 
and uh, is one of the like main two guys over there. They talk is there a lot. Sam over there, Sam Keenison. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Pretty sure that's different. Different oh, Keenison. Oh, never mind. <laughs> um, I, what's funny is I was like, "Is there a Sam?" I didn't realize you're making a joke at first. Um, so <laughs> he was Ryan asked Brian about this knife, and Brian like fully remembered it because I guess this knife was supposed to go to a guy in like Italy or I like something. Down to that when it closed. Right. Tink. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's supposed to go overseas and then it like shipped and the guy didn't want to pay like the duties or the custom fees, whatever it was to like actually receive the knife. And so it came back and then that guy just never was willing to receive the knife. And so then it went from them to the guy who did some of this like custom work on um so he black oxided the blade he changed the handle finish the clip finish and i love it the way that it's set up now is gorgeous um but it went straight from keenison to that guy who did it so they're aware of all the mods that are on it and it's like not a problem in their eyes that this knife is modded right. because right. they sent it to the guy who did it and then that guy sold it to my buddy who i traded the haptic um to for this and so it's just interesting because like they remembered this knife and because they remembered it now i know the whole story of it from them and uh yeah it's just it's cool because it's like a spec that i really dig and it's a it's a full custom you know they mm -hmm. the way keenison works is they'll make a hundred of each model and each one is different and they've already stopped on the flipper strays as well so there's no more that will be made of these they already all exist and it's like it's it feels different to have something that's one of one. <laughs> I think that's I, a neat way to do it where you um, conceptualize and then build a quantity of them and then don't repeat. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that approach. Flash batch. They're danger pickling it. Yeah, that's right. It's flash batch. <laughs> I have another interesting knife to show you that um, the more I, the more I handle it, the more I like it. And it's a, it's a Pat Doyle. Ooh. I don't think I've shown you this one. I need to send it to you so you can play with it. You loaned me a Doyle at one point and it was awesome. Yeah, this one this one is bigger and beefier. And it's a hole instead of a disc, which I would prefer. Yeah. So this this model's called the Brigand. And I've met Pat a couple times. I saw him at Blade in 2019. I've been to his workshop and had a tour and uh, went to lunch with the guy. And we've talked about like bespoke builders who are consultive. And then we talked about this guy who does flash batches. Well, Pat is different still. Um, mm. Ethically, he doesn't believe in taking a dime from a customer until the knife is ready. Mm. He's a real philosophical issue with that. And he looks around the industry and he sees all these bums that will take half down or all down, or they do book spots where it's a deposit and then they never come through or they, they'll take deposit money and then people are allowed to jump the line by having hard luck stories or buying privilege. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of a gross behavior. And to him, that's, that's offensive. So he doesn't like supporting that kind of thing. So the way that Pat makes his knives is he just literally makes them. And then as they're finished, he makes them available through his Facebook awesome. page. Yeah. And the only way to really get them is with basically a lottery system. So he'll post a knife and then he'll go, here it is. If you want it, it's this much money for the next uh, 20 minutes. Anyone who says in has an opportunity and then I'll draw. And so one of you is going to win it. Mm -hmm. And I've had multiple knives come and go where I wasn't able to get them 
you know, and I, I remember when this one came out, I tried to get it and I think only four people entered and I didn't win it. Oof. So yeah, I had to let it go. And then a year later, um, the guy that owned it was wanting to sell it. So I ended up with it and that's awesome. Uh, no lock bar insert, by the way. So mm -hmm. this knife, I rarely have played with a knife that opens and closes smoother than one of his knives. Um, his stuff is all done by hand. Like all of this, this is a titanium bolster mm -hmm. that he aged and he also textured by hand with a Dremel. And then he did the clip and then he did the liners and he did the backspacer. And if you can see on the top of the blade, there's actually um, a, a texture that runs down each side of the swedge mm -hmm. that then becomes smooth down the top of the blade. And, and he puts crazy, like really fine detail texturing around like the whole edge of the liners. And yeah, it looks peened. Yeah. It, it's like kind of like jewelry, but with texture. <laughs> and then on top of that, he has a secret source for Westinghouse mm. Micarta. He knows a guy and the guy's got a room of it. And he's a, he's a grumpy old man that doesn't like to share, but for Pat, he lets him have what he wants. So Epic. he's got all this really beautiful Micarta. And what I like about his designs is they are as functional as any modern knife, mm -hmm. but they have an old school look to them that just makes them interesting to me. Yeah. Um, he's yeah, going to be looks like show. it could be in like a firearms catalog from a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> he's going to be a blade. So if any of you are going to blade, you should look him up. It seems Pat Doyle. Um, just awesome knives. Imagine he'll have about a dozen to choose from there at the show. And he's going to be one of the guys that I try to see with my early bird. Cause mm -hmm. it just might be that I'll buy a fourth one. Um, and another thing that I like about his knives is this is about as handmade as a knife can get in terms of attention to detail and quality and dialing in, especially what he does so well is the interface between the lock and, and the blade He's particularly good at getting that perfect. Mm. So there's never a stick on his knives. Yeah. And setting so. a lock face on a custom, I've heard, I've never done it, is one of the more difficult components of building a custom knife. Yeah. This is the one that you checked out. Mm -hmm. With that clip point blade. It's funny. When he made that one, he did a batch of four. And this was also in the batch. And this oh, was the, the one way. that I wanted. But this one went first. I settled for the blue one. And now I have the one that I wanted in the beginning. So don't let anybody tell you that these things are so rare. You can't get the one you want. Right. So these things are also just as good. No lock bar insert, by the way, guys. Um, but what I've learned from Pat and from a couple other builders is that you really don't need to spend more than a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to get in my opinion, about as good as it gets. I don't know what you gain when you go to four or five or six or seven thousand dollars because right. they do go there. And usually it's stuff that doesn't interest me at all. It's like crazy full dress, Timascus everything with Damascus blades and like stuff that the woo-woo can go up, no question. Um, but I, some of these guys will tell you that they're masters at X and they may be, but I don't know how a knife opens easier than one of these or locks and unlocks easier. Yeah. I do you think know, part of it hard. is also at, with anything at any price range or any like quality range. I don't know, like any segment 
there's going to be certain makers or certain brands that have like the exclusivity and the panache or whatever, like some of the old custom builders who are still making knives and they just don't make very many of them, but so many people still want them. It's like, I mean, it's not because their customs are actually better in terms of quality and fit and finish and, and build than the new guy. Will dictate. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just that the demand so far exceeds the supply, which, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one of those games that I just don't really care to play all that much. Not yet. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll get yeah. to a point where it's like, I have to have a Mayo, you know, like, but I don't, I don't have to have one. So with blade show coming up, this is what I'm really excited to look at. Of course, I'm, an, I'm excited about Spiderco. I run mm -hmm. a Spiderco group. You're in it. You're a part of it. I want to see what Spiderco has to say. But the thing that I'm really excited about is not going to the Spiderco booth and buying a Manix Lightweight. What I'm excited about is finding another deal, another builder like Pat or another builder like Edgar Cole that's making these things in really small batches that are cool to talk to that have some sort of innovative thing that no one else is doing, you mm -hmm. know, and getting to know those guys. That just, that's the best part in my mind. Yeah. I love Do that you, So you've been to blade before two years ago, right? Yep. And I think I remember you saying you only went for like a whole day, right? So it was one day and it's funny by the end of the day, Tom and I were trying to convince ourselves that that was all we needed. It was good mm -hmm. enough. And the reality was, is it wasn't not even close. It really wasn't. We spent so, so much time backtracking and wandering around and, you know, like we went to the Spiderco booth and we didn't see Sal or Eric. So we left and then we came back. We're like, well, maybe Sal and Eric will be there. Yeah. And Sal was there, but Eric wasn't. And like we left and we came back again looking for Eric a third time. And there's half your day. It could be because it was, it's a giant show and it's yeah. big and it's hard to find your way around. And, and a lot of the little guys are seg segregated from the big guys. So, mm -hmm. You're going to find Emerson and, and Benchmade and Spiderco all in the same aisle. But when, when you want to go look at, um, I don't know, Holt, the Holt booth is going to be really small and it's going to be the, at the other end. Right. Yeah. I've been to SEMA a couple of times and SEMA is massive. I would imagine the scale is at least the size of Blade Show. And even with multiple days at SEMA, it, you don't actually yeah. see everything. But would you say so? the last time you went uh, i think it's safe to say you weren't nearly as deep into as many different knife brands and makers and like you've gotten way further down the rabbit hole than you were two years ago anybody who's in this hobby logically would um do you think there'll still be a similar like like do you think you'll know who a percentage of people are more so this time than you did last time or will it still be like there's a sea of makers you've never heard of uh, both. Mm. I mean, when you look at the, when you look at the list, there's, I don't know, 1500 vendors. It's so insane. Yes. It's, it's crazy. You know, if, if you, if you want to start a knife company and you want to find uh, uh, a Timascus supplier that can get you Timascus for your knives that you would then send to Riot and have them use, that's the place to go. There'll be eight of them. Yeah. If you want to OEM a knife and you want somebody to build it for you overseas all of them will be there. So, right. you know, that's why my work sent me to SEMA when I was in that industry is to have conversations yeah. like that for automotive. So I get it. That whole, yep. 
aspect of the show is you've got materials, you've got right. builders, you've got the makers themselves, you've got people there just to talk to their fans. You've got people with t-shirts because they don't have knives to sell. You've got people who built a hundred knives to sell people who built one to auction. Like there's all kinds of everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, one thing, another thing I'm interested to find is without getting too political, there's pretty apparently a big pushback in, a, in the knife community right now around mainland China as a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to know in a country as large as India with a billion and a half, not a billion and a half, like 1.1 billion people in India, there's got to be a knife factory that's really good that does OEM work. I don't know if there is one. Well, why wouldn't there be? How about, how about Indonesia? There's 400 million people in Indonesia. You're telling me they don't have a knife factory? I bet they do. So I'm interested to see, are there OEM companies that are out there that the community ought to know about that we don't know about? And this is a good chance to find out. You know, we all know about, uh, we know about uh, Italy, Fox Knives. Yep. There's probably one in South Africa, I would think. There's a big knife community in South Africa. It's a vibrant knife economy down there. Yeah, I can't think of who the OEM would be. I can think of a lot of makers from there, but... Brazil. Is there someone in Brazil? I bet there is. You know, it, so I'm kind of, And it's not that I have anything planned, but I'm just interested to know. Mm -hmm. You know, where is the next thing going to happen? You know, I think, I think we... Um, in the music industry, where, which I'm very familiar with, they're 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 done with Korea as a manufacturing location. In the '80s, most everything was made in Korea. Like half the guitars in the world were made in Korea, mm. and that was only because Japan got too expensive, so they moved it to Korea. And then from Korea, it moved to China, and from China, it moved to Taiwan and Indonesia. And now there's big factories in Singapore that make guitars, and in um, Bangladesh, they make guitars. Mm. You know. Why would you do that? Well, there's, you know, things change, right? And there's new and new and exciting things happening all over the place. So I'm interested to see what, what that might look like. Yeah, that's an interesting point that I hadn't even considered. I feel like I spend so much of my time thinking about who the players are that I'm aware of and are in my view. And so, yeah, you've got the big Chinese players, React and We and Best Tech. And um, then you can think of, yeah, there's Fox Knives in Italy, and there's like MKM, who's kind of a player. There's like, there's a few over there. Right. And then you've got in the US, there's OEMs, but they don't really do jobs like for designers. They mostly license stuff or make their own catalog. And so, yeah, it's an interesting, like an in automotive, Mexico has become a big, big right. portion of production. Right. And it's like, why isn't there somebody making knives there? You know, like they can make good cars there. They can, they, they can produce things and that's much closer than China to us. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there is already some stuff like that. That's just like, they'll be there at blade show trying to get attention, you know? Yeah, they probably will. Um, when I, when I think about like guitars, this, this part on the back of the guitar, this metal plate, mm -hmm. if you go to the fender factory, you can tour the factory and there's a big green stamping machine in the back of the factory that was purchased in around 1951 and it's still there. And it's the same stamping machine that has made every neck plate ever put on a Fender guitar. They're all mm -hmm. made in that shop. Um, 
the metalworks are still made on the same machines that the founder bought 70 years ago, you know, and there's a, a heritage to that, which is kind of quaint. But if you go to a newer factory, you're going to find robots and laser beams that make those. So mm -hmm. are they more precise? Kind of are. They really are, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's true. That's going to be true with knife companies. A factory that was built five years ago is not replacing their technology yet. They're just working with what they have. Mm -hmm. And if you go to a newer factory that's using, you know, machinery of that time, you're going to find that they, arguably they might be better in terms yeah. of certain parts of the manufacturing or more precise in certain ways. So that's um, probably part of what's created the advent of like these micro brands where like Grimsmo is a, a perfect example, I think, where they're just a couple of machinists who know how to run machines and they got some machines and what they make on them are knives. And the level of like the expense <laughs> of those machines, the machines they run, I'm not a machinist. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I have friends who are in that world. And when they talk about the machines that they run at Grimsmo and how much money they must have invested to have that level of machinery, it's like bananas, right? I'm sure that's part of why their knives are so expensive and rightfully so. That's a cost of creating at that level, right? But CRKT and Kershaw and like Spiderco even, they don't have those same machines in their US factories. Right. That that when they started, that wasn't the way knives were made. <laughs> it, it wasn't even like really an option to have those crazy, I don't know, 700 axis CNC. That's not a real, that's definitely a made up number, but uh, that's multi-dimensional. Oh my God. <laughs> it can go anywhere you can imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the idea that now there's these Oz machine company, that's a dude in his pole barn who's got a really, really nice CNC mill and is able to make these knives that I would say exceed what you're able to get out of these production companies. And it's like production companies could get some really impressive machinery like that, but they're already they're, the The butter's already churning, you know, they're already going through their motions and making yeah. knives the way they've been making them. And so to invest sales, they, they don't need to. Right. They sell every knife they make every year. Yeah. But um, some companies are doing it. Some of those mid-level ones like Protect yeah. just got a couple new really, really nice machines and Protect does really nice, very precise work. You know, I'm excited to see what they make having more machines and newer ones. Like that's cool. I hope they play more with making yeah. cool titanium variants of these aluminum knives that I already love and doing stuff like that because. I'm glad it, you brought them up because that's another brand that I really want to look at better while I'm at the show. Mm. Um, they make a higher end series of knives that are in the 700 to $800 range and they yep. look incredible, but I've never handled one and I really They're want to try stupid one. Stupid. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. At California custom knife show. They had a couple, um, in a case that they had built kind of for the show and they were for sale way beyond what I was planning on buying that day. Um, but yeah, some of the stuff that they do and a lot of it is by hand. They have some really, really talented people there who can do incredible like scroll work and just like, stuff that takes a long time to perfect and they've just right. got talented hands they're working and then you pair that with the fact that they have their own machines and people who know how to run machines really well and they're very precise about that component of building knives they have this like cool balance of like they use all their strengths and then yeah i don't know they just they play at like 
such an affordable price range for how precise they are, but they also know how to like dial it up and get artistic for the people who get to that level. And I feel like when you look at other production companies, they don't really have like a wing like that, like a special projects where they're building these show build knives. If they do, it's like a concept car. It's just to show it one time. They're not like actually bringing it to sell and having a couple of them, but Protec will put these crazy mother of pearl inlays in like 17 different places on one knife and make it all perfectly seamless. And then there's scroll work everywhere. And like the engraving is bananas. It's really, really interesting that they take it that far. And I think a lot of that is just like, if Dave's there at the show, talk to him because he's, yeah, he's the guy. And I love every, I've only talked to him, I think twice now. And both times we're at California custom knife show different years, but he's like super humble, look you in the eye, talk to you like a man kind of guy, which is great. And like have a real conversation with you there at the booth, as long as it's not too crazy. And I don't know, you could just, you can tell that like, not only did he grow up around knives and super into knives, but he's like as nerdy as anybody else is about them in, right. in the best way. Right. I think the next step for American manufacturing that I would really like to see is I don't know why we can't have our own OEM company. You tell there's, me. A, there's a company in Michigan that does unbelievable water jet and what do they call it? Fiber laser. I think it's mm-hmm. called fiber laser cutting and they do a, a, a scary number of, of companies that, you know, they do the cutouts of their liners and of their blades, right? Mm-hmm. That's there. That's available. Um, Chris Ortiz from Cerberus scales has told me that there are multiple companies that do grinding yeah. and they do heat treatment. So if you had a batch of 300 blades, you can send it to them and they will grind them and they will heat treat them for you. Yeah. So it, it is possible for a knife designer to, kind of cobble together a different suppliers to then make a knife. But wouldn't it be nice if there was somewhere you could go like custom ink, you ever see the custom ink links on, on Instagram? Mm, I don't think so. All like you need for custom ink for t-shirts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is you bring your logo and then you pick all the crap and then they make it for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Wouldn't it be neat if there was something like that for knife makers here in America? So okay you and I could collaborate and come up with a design and we could call these guys and they'll have the scales cut in Michigan, you know, and then we'll have the blades ground in California and then we'll have an assembly factory somewhere in Tennessee and out the other end comes my finished product. And I don't have to own a factory to bring a product to market. Right. You know, having a redundant factory when the work can be done elsewhere and you can export that doesn't make a lot of sense in some cases. You know, having sure. it under one roof allows you to control quality at a microscopic level. That's very true. But along with that comes human resources issues and, you know, rent and tax on the property and machinery and, and depreciation of the machinery and all those other things that come with it. So right. if I was if I had my own knife design, I would want to bring it to market without having to do all that. So, yeah, I, I mean, so. I hope somebody's doing it. I don't know. Being- about it kind of in that process right now like when we were picking an oem right we would have loved absolutely adored if there was a u.s option we could even have like ran it by like i i would have loved to have shopped a quote 
from a U.S. manufacturing company. But it it just like right now, the only ones that I'm even really aware of would be Millet, who yeah. I it I don't know them personally, and so I I try to say this delicately each time I say it. But from what I've observed, they tend to be more expensive than what Chinese OEMs would be. And they don't meet timelines well at all. <laughs> that I could that I can just see from like having friends order knives from them that took way longer than they were supposed to, and not, just the way that they operate. Right? It seems to be slower and more expensive. And I don't know that they would even have time to take on another project because I don't get the sense that they're that big. But there's no one. All the other companies, it's like they're they're polar in sizes. There's little knife brands like Koenig or Grimsmo, oh, Grimsmo's in Canada, but Koenig or Holt, or I don't, there's all these little companies where all they can stomach is making their own knives. They're not going to use their machines to make someone else's knives. I can't say, hey, Bill Koenig, would you like to make the Avant for me? Like he he's doing everything he can to get a third model to market and still be making his existing models in the meantime. And it's like, he's spread too thin as it is. So you've got that, or you've got giant companies who the only way Kershaw or ZT or CRKT or Spyderco or ProTech even, the, the only way that they're going to work on a knife with you would be to license it. And then it's not mine anymore. I just want you to right. build it for me. Right. I don't want to just collect royalties on it. I want right. it to be my knife. Um, and so it's just that the reality is there. there's a void. There isn't someone like that. And I went with Chris Ortiz from Cerberus to um, the machine shop he uses for his scales. Uh, Hephaestus, I, I never know how to say that. They're really cool guys over there. No. We hung out for hours with them. And they've just come out with their own fixed blade. They're working on some other fixed blades and some pry bars and stuff. No. And I was talking to the guys over there and I had this with me. And so I was talking to them about it. And I was like, look, I would love for this to be a thing. And he was like, tell me how much you're going to pay the Chinese OEM per knife and what the minimum is. And I told him, and he was like, I can't touch that yet. He's like, I'm working on it. I want to get there because no one's doing it, but there are a couple of guys with a couple of machines. So like to make me 300 knives in any reasonable amount of time, it's not doable. And so if you go to some other machine shop who doesn't make knives and you ask them, Hey, can you make all these components and make a knife for me? A, it's going to be a project that they haven't really done before. Most of them have really long wait lists because machine shops right now, at least in Southern California and the market that's here, there's a wait time to get any parts built. Even if well, it's, it's a, it's a very skilled trade with nuance that no one's entering. So the, the workforce is shrinking and the demand really isn't right. So they're busy, busy. And so meanwhile, China has figured it out and they're like, we have options. You can, you can shop multiple different OEMs over there and they will give you quotes on what it will cost to have them build your knife that you've designed in the materials that you pick. You can even send over materials from here. If you want to get real specific, right. like you can, you can play a game over there that you just can't play here. And it's like, I, I wanted to design this. I want to sell it. And I'm stoked that Riyadh is doing it, of course. But would I have gone US if it was an option? If it could have made any sense at all? Yes, yeah. but it doesn't. And so the people yeah. who are like only US made, it, it aggravates me to an extent because it's like, 
there until someone steps up and creates an option, which I'd love to see. I'll be supportive of, but I can't do <laughs> like maybe tactile knife co can figure it out. Maybe they can, they're great machinists over there. Like someone like that, if they want to play that game and they've got a model, but then they also do OEM projects or something. Great. Please, please begin that conversation and make knife making in the U S for designers who want to do small batches of things, a possibility, but un until something like that happens, there's, there's nowhere to go, at least not all under one roof. Like you were mentioning, you might be able to have parts of the process done, but even if I, I like the guy who's cutting the parts, I might not like the guy who's grinding or I yeah. might not like the guy who's heat treating. In my model, I don't even know that it needs to be under one roof, but I, I want one single storefront entity where I go with my concept and then they deliver me my knife. Mm. So I don't care how scattered or disparate their, their manufacturing is. That's fine. Because right. the reality is that's how best tech does it. They don't, they don't have one giant factory where everything best tech is built. Right. They will source things to be built as they need it. So if, if you bring them a design that they know a guy, they'll use their guy to, to do that portion of it and then they'll finish it out. So, mm they're doing the resourceful things the way that America used to be famous for doing them, you know? And, uh, I don't, I refuse to believe that stuff is dead. So I'm hoping someone is working on that. It'd be pretty, pretty exciting. But on the other, on the other side of the coin, a lot of those snobby USA only, I don't know what motivates them a lot of times because it's a complicated thing for some, for some it's a xenophobia. For others, it's it's a pragmatism where they're like, listen, if we don't support American manufacturing, it'll go. And they're right. Um, but often I feel like I could ask him like, well, how many American made knives do you have? How many Alamex do you own? You should own a lot. How many how many Protex do you own? And, you know, you'll find out that they have they'll, they'll have two CRKs and a bunch of Swiss armies or something. And they'll be go, well, you know, you're. If, you're, if this is really what you believe and you're passionate about it, you got to contribute to the cause a little. Right. So, you know, it, yeah, if you, even if they don't own any Chinese knives, they should own a lot of American ones. If that's the way that they're, you know, because I, if I look across my collection, I own a lot of American made knives. I would prefer you, to buy American made knives when possible. Yeah. And you know what Tony hears all day long? I've got a Kaiser that's a third the price. And why should I buy your knife? He, I'm right. sure he hears that all day. And sure. I bet he's got steam coming out of his ears every time it happens. He you doesn't know? have to listen because he sells every knife that he makes just fine. But yeah, but it it uh, it it betrays that that I thought you were interested in buying an American-made knife, right? Now you can't you can't have it both ways. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too is like I don't know. I think oftentimes people try to make the excuse for buying Chinese by saying like, "Oh, American is so much more expensive." And it can be, but I have a hunch that part of why American knives oftentimes are so much more expensive is because a lot of the American makers are touting the fact that they're American made and they're using that as a way to hold a higher margin. Like I made the point the other day, I think I did. I don't know if it was in a video or if I just thought this, I, I never know these days. I, I talk too much. Uh, but like if, Hinderer made the XM18 $300 and Strider made the SNG $300. The Sebenza the next day would be $300. I'd be willing to bet because 
if if well, those if, yeah we we watched that for 30 years with with cola wars and and big mac versus whopper right. yeah if you're not holding the line together if one of those big three or whatever breaks stride and they all of a sudden get competitive on a tactile knife co it's the size of a small sabenzo so maybe it's not that big of a difference but they're 300 dollars on their first knife offering that they've just done all the r d for and all this stuff these other makers who've been making these knives on autopilot and getting their costs down by i'd imagine hopefully ordering more materials and and doing the things that they should do as a business to increase their like it hasn't reflected to the consumer if anything the cost has gone up and sometimes there's inflation there's all these things right it's a it's an oversimplification but i imagine even if the xm18 just became 400 dollars instead of 450 and the SNG was 400 instead of 450. Then all of a sudden, that weird 450 dollar. This is what this size and level of American-made knife costs. It would all of a sudden they'd all three <laughs> have to be 400 instead of 450. Otherwise, why is the Sabenza more expensive? Then it sticks out like a sore thumb that it's the expensive one, you know. And I don't, I, I don't know what their bottom lines are. I'm not trying to say that I don't want them to make money either. I think that's totally fair. I think they're in the business of making knives to make money, and that's the way that it ought to be. I hope they get filthy rich doing it because I love that knife making is a thing. But I do also, from the consumer angle, want American players to be as competitive as they can while people are, people are crying out for like everyone to be buying American knives. Because if, if that's happening, while some American players are charging too much for what they're making kind of on purpose because they can say it's made in America and they're not even offering the best materials and fit and finish. And they're not even competitive with the type of knives that Riyadh are building. Then it's like, if you're making it as good, then I might even pay twice as much as I'd pay for a Riyadh to get a U.S. made knife. That's just as good. If it's 300 from Riyadh, maybe it's 600 from you. And I feel great because I'm buying the U.S. one. But when Riyadh's doing it better, and you're twice as expensive, like get out. That, that just doesn't make sense from a consumer standpoint to buy the inferior object for more money because patriotism, like, I don't know. That, that feels more like I'm being taken advantage of than, than I'm helping. Yeah, uh, we could call that General Motors in the 80s. So, boy, I had a magically profound point I was going to make and now I can't think of it. I went on you know, for it, too long. <laughs> it used to be it used to be the case that if you had two similar-ish products and one was made overseas and the other one was made here, that was a very deliberate choice by the manufacturer to create their own competition. So mm -hmm. they had their standard product and then they had a lower priced alternative that they were controlling. So you can have the real thing or you can have the exquisite replica, mm -hmm. you know. And that was done on purpose and part of the part of the plan was don't, this one can never be as good as the other. Otherwise there's no reason for this one. Right. So we have to dumb it down. So when I think about, when I think about like a price point driven product, like a Civivi, Civivi can make a nice, a knife as nice as anyone else on the planet, but they're deliberately making a knife to be at a price point. Mm -hmm. And they're working backwards from that when they design it. But the one thing I want to kind of overcome in this community, as much as I have in a voice to do it, is to help people see that just because it's made in China 
does not mean that it's poor quality. It doesn't. That's that. I, I that is such a fallacy of in in and it's been demonstrated over and over in the last several years. It is not true to say that a Chinese-made knife is worse, right? Because it isn't. It's really, really excellent. And sometimes they're superior to an American-made knife. Right. And it because nationality has nothing to do with it. Political ideology has nothing to do with it. This factory is brand new and cutting edge. And the people working there are very, very good. And they're very passionate about doing their best, just like an American factory would. So the... To, to say this is cheap Chinese crap because it's made in China is just a, an old fashioned way of thinking that's no longer accurate. Yeah. And that that type of conversation, you know, has been haunting me for years because it's the same conversation with guitars. Guitar guys will tell you that, oh, it's made it's made it's cheap garbage because it's made overseas. And it's not always true anymore. You know, right. Sometimes so, there's cheap garbage made here too, and there they just be put, cheap garbage they made, stamp made in America on it, and then oh, it's yeah. not garbage; it's made in America. I hate that. I and think sometimes it's expensive garbage that's resting on its laurels. Yeah, you know that happens. I've, too. I've made the point before too that it's like I used to. I used to go to gun shows a lot, and I remember being with a friend one time that I brought. Like my dad would let me bring a friend to the gun show sometimes, and uh, we were at some booth. I feel like we were looking at like a backpack or something, but the the salesperson on the other side of the booth was like, oh, this is actually a military standard issue backpack. And I was looking at the backpack like this thing is garbage. And my friend was like, oh, this is what the military uses. Oh, my. Oh, this is good stuff. This is U.S. military uses this. That must mean it's really nice. And a, the U.S. military uses some stuff that is objectively terrible gear because they need to give it to so many millions people of them for so cheap. Like it's, it's not a marker. If it's like right. elite Navy seal platoons choose to use this, that's a different thing to say. <laughs> um, but I, I think the made in America stamp can have a similar like effect on some people. And granted, I say all this while also like I've already said, I would prefer to buy us made when possible, even if it's more expensive most of the time. But like when I notice brands are just made in America and it's a crappy product that cheapens the whole idea of like, oh, because it's made in America, it's good because it proves that that doesn't mean it's good. It just means you put made in America on it. Yeah, it's like if you I'm, watch the, the scandals of fishing companies and how they can buy these marks that say like this was ethically sourced. And it's just about paying $100,000 a year to some agency or whatever it is that now all of your packaging has this seal on it. It's like the same thing, putting the little made in the US sticker on it. It's like, it doesn't actually mean that it's good. It the country of origin is just, it, it, it has no weight over what the object is actually like at the end of the day. Yeah. Uranium 238 is all natural. Doesn't make it safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm like you. I would, all things being equal, I would rather buy American. All things unequal, I will still really heavily weigh that way because mm -hmm. it's my country and I love my country and I yep. want to support my country. And I happen to work here. I don't happen to work in China. So if I can support my own economy, I want to do so. And I'm willing to pay extra, assuming it's worth it. But I don't, I won't be taken advantage of. And, um, 
you know, I think the automotive industry is more guilty of that than almost anywhere else. You know, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, you had to buy an American car or you weren't American. And right. in, in it, to buy a Japanese car was a betrayal of your grandfather who had fought and died for in the war, you know, and now you're supporting the enemy. That's right. literally what people would say. And now, you know, if I have $30,000 to spend, should I buy a car made in Indiana where 90% of the parts are made in the United States and it's assembled by people in my state? Or should I buy the car that's made in Canada and 33% of the parts are made in the US and the rest are made in Mexico? Should I buy that car? Because the badge says that it's made in America. Right. Not, well, it's like, not made in America at all. There's there's German cars, quote unquote, being built like crazy in the US now. Like BMW builds all their SUVs in the US. And I always loved that when I sold BMWs. And I was like, this is actually far more an American right. car than most of what many of the American companies are selling. And it's like... It, yeah, it's a fallacy to think, oh, because this says Ford on the front of it, that it's the most American thing I can buy. Right. The so world doesn't work like that anymore. The other argument would have been, yeah, well, maybe the car is made over there, but where do you think all the taxes are paid? Or where do you think where do you think Ford's going to be spending the money? Your retirement is based on what Ford does, right? Now you're assuming I agree with taxation. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> maybe, but the Honda is made locally by local people who are paying local taxes and their incomes derived from it. You know, anyway, there's a lot of this, there was a lot of this false flag stuff that would happen, I think with automotive and it was really gross and ugly. And, and I think it still haunts them to this day that um, I know many people that won't even, won't even think to drive a Chrysler or think to drive a Chevy or a Ford because they've just been they've just decided that you know the lies are so deep and thick that they're not even going to try them and that's right. unfortunate for them too because legitimately ford's making some excellent cars right now and you probably ought to try one if you're going to spend a lot of money on a car and um yeah. you know i it, i don't see it as much in knives it's still there to a certain extent because the crossover between the pickup truck guy and the pocket knife is like one to one but um it doesn't seem to be quite as bad, but there's still too much of it. I want people to know that a knife can be good on its own merit. Objectively, it can be good or it can be bad, regardless right. of country of origin. And I, I, I do think it's like it comes from a place that I agree with the people who are like, you should buy U.S. stuff because I, 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 I do genuinely agree with it. I think if you can when possible, like if you're choosing between two pairs of shoes, and you know, one comes from the US and one comes from Indonesia and you like them both the same, then like, even if it's a little more expensive, buy the US made ones or whatever. But when there's a, a product that speaks to you that you like and you're buying this luxury item that you don't need and it's like, if you've done your research and you figured out it's the thing that suits the needs that you perceive for yourself or whatever, like even remove knives. If you're trying to buy a car, which is objectively pretty expensive and should be taken very seriously, it's not a, a light decision to make for most people what car they're going to buy next, you should 
figure out what the features are. You should figure out what the consumer reports are and how things are rated. How safe is it? What kind of fuel economy does it get? How much does it cost for me to insure it? There's a lot you should consider before you go to the dealership and give them your money for the thing, right? And right. if the one that makes most sense for you isn't made in the US, that's not a crime against the United States. And the US also typically kind of makes sure with a lot of products that they're getting their cut in a way when these things are coming in and in the, the relations of, of how these things get here. And it's like, I would love for industry to be in the US what it once was, or even bigger. That would be phenomenal. I think that would be great for us as a country. But we're so far from that at the moment that like to, to imagine that we could foreseeably buy everything we need and have it be built here before we get it. It's just not, it's not going to happen for quite a while, at least. And I think we should try to get there. We should encourage it. But it, 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 we also shouldn't belittle people because they're picking the thing that is the best value or excites them the most or whatever their reasoning is. Like it's not a sin to purchase something built in China or all the other countries. Because I feel like China gets isolated too for some reason when there's Russian knives, there's Italian knives. It like, right. Does everyone hate Shirogorov? Like, are you, are you as much of an a-hole if you buy a Shiro as if you buy a Riat to these people who are all U.S.? Like, What's Shirogorov? I mean, you know what Shiro is. Um, is <laughs> yeah. that how you, am I saying it wrong? I think it, I always know it as Shirogorov. Oh. With the accent in a different place. Shirogorov. I don't know. Right. Um, I plan to get one soon. I haven't owned a Shiro yet. You need but. one. They're awesome. Yeah, but in the in the Millie group the other day, somebody was somebody was cracking on this, saying, "If only it wasn't made in China." On the Bowie. Yeah, and this guy was like, "I'm not going to own one because it's made in China," and he was he was folding his arms, and that was that. And that is such a pet peeve of mine because it's not made in China; it's made in, it's Taiwan. Made in Taiwan. Taiwan is as different from China as Vietnam is. It's a entire, entirely different nation, you know. Um, they are a democratic republic, just like we are. They. Um, it's like saying that Mexico is the United States. <laughs> well, yeah. And if, if you hate mainland China and you hate communist China, which is, you have to remember the party and the people are different things. One suffers the other. Um, if, you, if you don't agree with communist party China, you ought to embrace Taiwan with both arms. Because they're <laughs> they're doing it the other way, and they're trying mm -hmm. very differently, very hard to be different. So that poor guy is misinformed on global politics for one thing, and for another thing, he didn't even know where the knife was from. But ultimately, what I told him was, my individual choices on one knife aren't going to make or break global politics. Right? The the State Department's not going to have an easier or harder time negotiating with China based on the knife I buy. It just right. isn't. So. If you have any latent guilt about buying a Chinese made whatever, just know that you're, you're one, you're one consumer decision out of the thousands that you make in your life is not going to change anything. Yeah. So don't, don't get worked up over it. <laughs> Buy the knife you want, play with it or don't, you know, enjoy it, enjoy it the way that you need to enjoy it and have fun yeah. with it. And when you don't anymore, sell it. That's okay too. Yeah. That raises an interesting point too, because like, I, I feel like a lot of the blame on things being built in China is put on 
people people like you and me spending relatively small amounts of money all things considered on these chinese knives and granted there's a whole group of people that are buying them and it ends up being kind of a lot right but i wonder if there was a way to change that i don't think it's so much like on the individual level what people are buying and i struggle to wrap my mind around like how do you how do you get people to buy more us made products i think in a lot of ways us made products are actually doing pretty well in the knife realm right now if they're a good product i think good time most... to be able to raise that flag right now doesn't hurt yeah there were times in the 90s where i remember when saying you wanted to buy american made you xenophobic and it was almost discouraged you were considered a caveman if you wanted to buy american made you know and you were uh from a dying dying age and you weren't embracing this new neo this new neo future of ours where it was one global government and we're all holding hands you know mm -hmm. and now we're in a world where there's there's some backlash to that and people want to buy american or buy local and and uh it's amusing to me to have to be lectured about it by somebody who's a lot younger than me. Cause it's like, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't remember, you know, you weren't there when it happened the first time, you know, the yeah. third time or the fifth time. This is not the first time someone said you need to buy American. Right. Yeah. I just wonder, like, I don't know. Is it the reviewers? Are we, it, it, am I part of the problem by saying that Chinese knives are good? I don't think so. I think, I think part of it's the marketing of the companies. It's their, I guess their, they crafted the narrative to begin with that the USA is the flagship. And then, you know, the next step down is the next step down. And so I think they are the ones that, that partially created the nightmare or why, yeah. you know, they're the Frankenstein that made the monster. And then, um, and then also don't forget, it wasn't that long ago that the, the, the terrible stuff was made overseas on purpose. Oh, for sure or it was or the only thing they had to offer was a lower price right go to alibaba you'll see that yeah for sure this may yeah. not be a real vero but it's seven dollars do you That's want one so gross yeah it's gross i've only i've only ever made one wish.com knife purchase and it was the strider that went into the canyon so <laughs> um <laughs> it was yeah that's a that's a whole thing it's funny to me so uh, like specifically about that knife that even after me intentionally yeeting that fake strider into a canyon for an internet joke, there were some people who were upset that I would have had it in the first place. And mm. I was like, look, I bought this thing years ago as a joke because I have some friends who are really into striders. There was no part of me that was going to buy a real strider at the time. It wasn't going to happen. And there I was a it point where I was worried you were going to get doxxed over it. That some some red ass baboon was going to be that mad about it, and yeah. they were going to dox you for it. It's so right. silly, but it's you know what we're another we're, we're missing shame in society. We're also missing the mind your own business. Yeah, there needs to be more mind your own business. You know, hey, respectfully, you have no business in this conversation. So why don't you get out? Right. You know, we don't do that enough, and I think if we would do that more, that would help. You know, I when my when my wife and I got married and we hadn't yet had a child, people would ask all the time, are you going to have kids? When are you going to start having children? 
And it used to offend my wife to the bone. She would be very angry at that question. She'd be like, how dare you? It's none of your business. Right. And she would never say that. She wouldn't be so bold as to say that, but that was really what she wanted to say. And to her, it was just incredibly offensive to ask that question. Right. And I think in this internet age where we're so free with everything about ourselves, we've, we've, we have a whole new generation of people, maybe two generations of people that don't, aren't used to that question or used to being told to mind your own business. Right. Like I heard that every five minutes when I was a kid. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, we could definitely use a lot, a lot, a lot more of that because right. people just, they, it's not even necessarily so much about opinion. A lot of the time, it's just about feeling like they have to be part of the conversation. I think knowing full well that they don't have anything new or different to contribute to it. They right. just see a conversation happening and they, their mind or whatever it is just makes them, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be in that. So I'm going to put in whatever I have to say about it. But yeah, so many stupid things that people say for no reason that it's like, what do you, what outcome do you expect to come from making that comment or from saying that thing? What outcome do you hope is going to happen by asking me when I'm going to have kids. If you don't even know me, like I don't, I don't get it. My mom can ask me that. I know you're that making chat, but why don't we change it back to the weather or a football team? That'd be right. great. Yeah. Even then, why don't we just not talk is usually what I default to. But um, it's funny. One of those things that bugged me a ton when my wife was pregnant, if we were just in target or whatever. And when she was noticeably pregnant, like toward the end of term, um, people would like the, the most common thing like enjoy your sleep well you can get it oh you better enjoy sleeping like men women didn't it, it, it knew no race or age or gender people would just tell us to enjoy our sleep while we could have it and i don't know what it was about maybe that was a regional thing southern california people just really were worried about our sleep but it was like i wanted to punch people in the teeth every time that they said it. Cause it was like, first of all, we're really excited that we're having a kid. We're looking forward to it. You're making it sound like we should be dreading what's about to come in some weird sly way. I get that you're trying to seem like you're the one who has experience and communicate to me that you have kids, but we're in an aisle shopping at target. So just right. go, just go away. Just don't talk to me. It's like, like I need to carry around a canned laughter machine, <laughs> right? <sighs> that was a good joke. Thank you so funny yeah, yeah. we'll enjoy our sleep because oh, we're never gonna get it again newsflash my kids slept great we literally she slept like 12 hours her entire life to this day like she'll just sleep 12 hours from when she falls asleep to when she wakes up and it's great and we don't have any problems with it so um suck it everybody who told my wife and i to enjoy sleep like it's just yeah. i i don't get why people want to inject themselves i have none of that in me if i don't know a person I don't look around a, a public space and think, what can I say to that guy or that lady? I think, how do I get out of here without having to talk to anybody? That's where my mind goes. Like, and when, when someone talks to me about like the shirt I'm wearing, it always happens when my wife buys me a shirt, she'll buy something that like, I don't know, causes people to want to talk. If I wear a Spyderco shirt, if someone ever talks to me about that, I'll be stoked. But it's always like some Disney something shirt that she got for me. It's some lady in line. Oh, I love the part of the movie where it's like, I never seen it. I hate you. Leave me alone. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. I hope she's not listening. 
<laughs> my wife? No, the one that makes me mind. I was going to say, my wife is not the one I hate. I think it's great. Love it. Thanks, babe, for the shirts. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Do you think uh, anybody's still listening at this point? Do you think they're enjoying the show? We've I gone never, real deep in some weird, weird topics that uh, I don't know that I've heard you talk about much on the show. So I usually think that I'm losing people, and then I'll get comments from people who definitely made it to those yeah. points. So yeah. I, I don't know, um, but we can tie a bow on it. I know it's late for you. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's 2.30 here <laughs> and I have to, tomorrow is ride a bike to school day and my Oof. daughter couldn't be more excited about riding her bike to school day. So uh, I need to get up in a few hours and we're gonna ride our bike a mile down the street to her school. And uh, she, she when she woke up a little while ago, uh, I don't know how much this will be edited out, but uh, she actually woke up and interrupted our conversation. And when I put her back to bed, she goes, Daddy, I have to tell you a secret. So what? She goes, I'm really worried about tomorrow riding a bike to school. I'm really worried about it. And we've ridden to her school a hundred times, more yeah. and more. Like it's a very, it's very common for us to go on a bike ride together and we'll go by the school. Yeah. So I don't know why all of a sudden tonight she's worried about it. <laughs> it's because it's the official day tomorrow. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's here now. It's a big deal. Oh, man. Well, I get that. I've got a six-year-old girl, so it's uh, I have those conversations. You know, uh, Tom. Tom just booked his airline ticket to to Blade Show. It's not too late. If I can, I'm getting the vaccine tomorrow, the first dose. Yeah. And part of my wife's hangup was definitely the aspect of like COVID's still a thing, um, but a lot of it is also just the time away. Because not only does that mean that I'm not here, like as a husband and a father for a couple of days, but with what she does, I'm pretty crucial to it at the moment because I take sure. all of her photos. Sure. And so it's like, if she's got a big campaign while I'm gone, that creates an issue. I don't know. We'll see. I I'm saying the door is closed because that's much easier to say, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a glimmer in the back of my mind that maybe somehow possibly something will happen. It would be we'll a see. blast if you could come. It's going to be a ton of people there that we know. Um, it's a good chance to meet people you don't know. Yeah. Good chance to see everything. Uh, got an Airbnb that we're staying in. So that's pretty easy. Um, happy about that. And then, uh, I don't know. I'm just looking forward to, to seeing everybody and, you know, it's, it's going to be great to resume a little bit of normal life. And right. as far as COVID goes, I, I'm one shot in, I'm waiting on the other and I'm not afraid of it anymore because I haven't been sick yet. And, and, uh, I don't know. My attitude is, is I go, I go to the grocery store all the time. I go to home Depot all the time. I go to Walmart all the time and I can get, I can get sick there or I can get sick at a convention center. And I right. don't, I really don't think I'm at any more risk there than I am here. You know, so. I've lived without fear the entire way along. My life is not. So that's I've been, been, I've been that's smart. Been I've been careful, but I'm not going to be scared of it. And I'm not right. going to be frantic about it. I'm, not, I'm done wringing my hands. You know, I did that for about 30 days in the beginning. I was really worried for a time that we were going to reach real scarcity of certain things. So, mm -hmm. you know, I did what I needed to do to get prepared and, and I felt better about it. And then I realized yeah. I had over prepared, but better to be over than under. Yeah. You the know. societal thing was always the much more scary element for me than potentially getting COVID like from, from yeah. my age and my 
weight and my how active I am, my diet, like I the statistical reality of how dangerous it is for me is very unscary, you know. But yeah. It doesn't mean I wanted to get it. I wasn't trying to. I was no. actively trying not to, but like it, it didn't create this like fear-based existence for me. Um, but for my wife, she, yeah, it, it's an element for her. So it is what it is, but we'll see. Hopefully I can somehow make it work. It might be even more difficult now though, because we planned a trip end of June. Um, so we will be already doing some traveling that month. I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. But um, <laughs> so for the people who are listening, I'll link down below to you, Jason. But um, where can people find you? Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Where where can people yeah, get more of Jason? Instagram, I'm at uh, JEB underscore EDC. Um, Instagram is more about looking than posting for me. I post I post a couple times a week, but not a ton. Uh, if you really want some hot knife content, then I'd recommend you go to the at Millie PM2 Para 3 Club. Uh, that site is definitely bigger and more robust with a lot more stuff going on. And it's not just me that runs it. It's uh, Tom Moore also runs it. So between the two of us, we put a lot of content up there. Mm -hmm. um, you always find me in the Facebook group, and that's probably where I spend the bulk of my time. And again, that's the at Millie PM2 Para 3 Club. So... Uh, search that. I think we're approaching 11,000 members, by the way, if you notice lately, yeah. we're at 10,900. So um, the growth has slowed a little bit, which I'm kind of happy about. I don't really want to outgrow the culture and I, I'm mm -hmm. really happy with the culture overall. So um, yeah. want to make sure it stays a club, but um, you posted on the YouTube today too, the Millie club YouTube. <laughs> it had been a while. My Windex video. Yep. Do, I can't do, believe do, how many do, people do. don't know about Anno and how to keep it clean or, or there's, they think that the knife is, is flawed because it has a fingerprint. I'm like, right. really guys, you're born in a barn. I had somebody tell me that it was unacceptable that around where the clip was, it came out of the box a little bit grayish. Yeah. And I was like, you, you know, it's just Anno, like, that's just Anno, right? Like it's oil, like, you tater tot. I mean, what do you well, think you they spend, do when you make knives? $400 on it. They shouldn't have sent it like that. I was like, uh, that's the easy. That's the most nonsense thing to complain about, in my right. opinion. Anyway, if you what want to figure out how to fix Anno, gasoline. who put gasoline in my new car? How dare you? Right. Yeah, ridiculous <laughs> stuff. All right. Well, those are where you'll find Jason, the Millie Club, the Millie Club on Instagram. Your Instagram, you said, is J E B E D C, correct? That's right. And then, yeah, the Millie Club YouTube as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube, that'll all be linked down below. If you're listening, then check them out by typing those in <laughs> anyway this has been up and talk again this is a lot of fun and i, I like being a part of it and i'm I'm, uh, I'm glad you're my friend and i'm glad we can have this uh have this uh, medium between the two of us so it's great. i appreciate it man yeah the pleasure is all mine i uh i genuinely always enjoy our conversations and like you said we went some places that i don't even normally end up which is fun for me i like that talking to different people can take me in down different avenues and that's right. great um, that's uh, in my opinion what a podcast should be is just wherever the conversation goes so this has been a ton of fun this has been the second one with you and i'm sure it will not be the last <laughs> this will this will definitely happen again um but yeah this has been episode number 19 so thank you jason and thank you everybody for listening we'll see you on the next